This episode is brought to you by Thorn, the industry leader in nutritional solutions. Now, Thorn is actually trusted by eight U.S. national teams and championship teams in the NFL, NBA, and Major League, as well as recently becoming the official sports performance nutrition partner of the UFC. So when it comes to supplements... The tactical athlete space and the athletic space need two things. We need efficacy, meaning the products do what they say they're going to do on the label. And then we need to trust the fact that we are not going to fail either athletic drug tests or work-related drug tests. Now, Thorne has actually been around since the 1980s, where they were used by physicians and hospitals for nutritional supplements for the patients. They were so successful that athletic teams and even special operations teams reached out to them and they started supplying them as well. Very recently, they actually opened their doors to the general public. Now, what sets Thorne apart is they manufacture their own products in a state-of-the-art NSF-certified facility in South Carolina. They use only the purest possible ingredients formulated with no stearates or arbitrary fillers in the cleanest manufacturing process. Most of you listening come from a profession where it can take its toll physically and mentally, and many of us are not able to bolster our nutrition purely with the food that we eat. And that's where supplementation comes in. So if you're ready to maximize your health and performance, visit thorn.com, T-H-O-R-N-E.com. Take a short product quiz to be paired up with the perfect health and fitness supplements. And for you, the audience, if you use the code BTS10, behind the shield 10, BTS10, you will get 10% off your first order. And if you want to learn even more about Thorn, go to episode 323 of Behind the Shield podcast and you will hear my interview with Wes Barnett and Joel Totoro from Thorn. This episode is sponsored by 511, a company that I've used for well over a decade and continue to use to this day. And 511 is offering you guys, the audience of the Behind the Shield podcast, a discount on every purchase you make with them. Before we get to that code, I want to highlight a couple of products that, again, I personally use today. One of the most impressive products they just released is their Rush Backpack 2.0. Now, for many of you, whether you're going to the fire station, the police station, whether you're traveling with your family, whether you're taking training courses, we have to fly, we have to drive, we have to take trains. And I have to say, I own multiple backpacks, many of uh, 5.11's different ones, but as far as a day pack, this one was the most impressive. There are so many different compartments. The way it sits on your back is incredibly comfortable. If you are a concealed carry person, there's also a spot for a weapon. So they've thought of multiple, multiple things that a man or woman would have to do on a daily basis. That is in addition to all of the products that I talk about a lot. Their uniforms fit for men or fit for women in the first responder professions. The footwear that they offer, whether it's the Norris sneaker or the Atlas system that is designed for foot health and therefore knees and back and hips and shoulders and neck. As a civilian, I live in a lot of their clothes as well. Their jeans stretch. You can actually squat down in them. We live in Florida here, so I wear a lot of their shorts, which again, very, very lightweight material. You can get it wet and it will dry almost immediately. And then moving to the fitness and tactical space, I used to have just a regular weight vest. Recently, I switched to a 511 vest and actually bought ballistic plates as well. My thinking was simply, if I'm going to have a vest, why not I have one that protects me as well? And that TAC vest is trusted by law enforcement all around the country. So I mentioned they were going to offer you a discount code. So if you go to 511tactical.com and enter the code SHIELD15, S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5, 
you'll get 15% off not just that one purchase, but every time you visit their store. And if you want to learn more about 5.11, their mission, their products, then listen to episode 338 of the Behind the Shield podcast with the CEO and founder, Francisco Morales. Welcome to the Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome on the show Firefighter and one of the co-founders of Build Your Culture, Pablo Jenner. So we discuss a host of topics from his family's immigration story, his journey into the fire service, his very powerful mental health story, fireground fitness, search, and so much more. Before we get to this amazing conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every five-star rating truly elevates this podcast, making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library of well over 600 episodes now. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to every single person who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you Pablo Jenner. Enjoy. Well, mate, I want to start by welcoming you to my home. It seems like eons ago that we first met in CrossFit Iron Legion. Um, we have shared moonshine at weddings. We have talked to each other at training events, but I know this is something that I've wanted to do for a long time. We're finally here. So welcome to the Behind the Shield podcast. Thank you, James. I appreciate it. I'm uh, extremely humbled to be here. Uh, I've been is it weird to say I'm a fan of yours? I am. Yeah, I am a weird. fan of yours. Is it weird? <laughs> sitting, I always say your house, you know, like, I'm a fan of yours. No, man, but the truth of the matter is I've told you this uh, uh, off the record and on the record. I'm a fan of I'm a fan of what you're doing. I'm a believer of what you're doing. Um, the Kool-Aid that you're selling, uh, I, I easily buy and I easily drink. Well, just know it's organic and pasture raised. So. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right, well then let's start at the very beginning of your journey. So tell me where you were born mm -hmm. and tell me a little bit about your family dynamic, what your parents did and how many siblings. Oh gosh, uh, so I got, uh, I was born in Cuba first and foremost, so it'll be obviously my, my mom and dad still, they're still together now. They got a wonderful marriage of uh, 40 plus years, coming up on 50 years, Jesus. Um, got one sister. Uh, but yeah, I was born in Cuba and um, in, uh, in Havana, in a small in a small little area, a suburb of Havana called San Miguel del Padrón in Havana, Cuba. We came over in 1989, August 18, actually, to be uh, quite uh, right on the dot, August 18th of 1989. Um, my old man was, they're, they're just great, they're great people. My mom, you know, my mom's a great person. My old man was a political prisoner. Uh, from the age of 18, he was a political prisoner in, uh, uh, in Cuba, he, against the revolution, basically the Cuban, the way that that works on there is the Cuban military. It's kind of, it, it was a forced thing, whether you like it or not, you have to join the Cuban military. Well, by the time that Castro takes power in 59, by the time 1968 rolls around, obviously communism has reared its ugly head and they're full blown. 
they're they're full blown communism at that point. So the um, the Cuban military is used as Castro's personal um, police power, so to speak. So my dad being forced to be in it, anti communism. We had already had family that was already, uh, as my dad likes to call it, sniffing communism already from the early from the late fifties, and they were already uh, some of them were rafting over even in the uh, late fifties, early sixties, and um, so obviously my dad. My dad, being 18 years old at the time, uh, knows that the communism is there and does not uh, want to do that. So he revels against the Cuban military, which literally at that point puts him into a state of treason. If you are if you do treason during peacetime, it's just a simple, quote unquote, five years. Um, if you do treason during war times, it could be anywhere from lifetime to, you know, execution. Uh, but did five years he did five years um uh not in a it's funny because it's like the cuban military will get everything or the cuban government will get every, everything out of you even whether you like it or not uh he did literally just like 30 days worth in what is would be an actual jail cell and the rest of it was literally like in a camp working you know as a laborer <laughs> so uh yeah that literally uh but that actually ironically speaking and ironically speaking that ends up when that that happened to him in, in the 1968, 68 to about 73 or so. And uh, that actually leads to the reason that we're in this, in this country. So back in 89, 88, my dad, my mom is, is listening to a, uh, a, uh, it's a, uh, how do you say a novella, a soap opera, I'm sorry, a soap opera which is being broadcasted uh, in illegally, quote-unquote, I'm using quotations for whoever is listening, uh, illegally being broadcasted to, uh, to Cuba because it's an American soap opera. She's listening to a soap opera anyway, and, and in comes a commercial after this, you know, like soap opera goes to commercial. And um, in the commercial, my dad hears, you know, that the, um, that the, Cuban, that the Cuban people are going to be able, some Cuban people are going to be able to be free depending on, on what they on, on what circumstances they had within them were a political prisoner. And my dad was like, Oh my gosh, they just said political prisoners are able to, are, are going to be freed. So he's like, Oh my gosh, how do I get, you know, how do I get this paperwork now? It isn't that, it isn't that simple. I've always asked my dad about that. It's like, it's not that simple. You can't just walk up to, you know, the Cuban embassy or so to speak and be like, Hey, can I get my paperwork? Because I'm trying to leave the country. They're going to, you know, it just doesn't really work like that. So his, his story is great. He's like, he's like, well, by the time that, by the time that 1988 rolls around, uh, you know, from 1968 that I did time, you know, 20 years, it's enough time. So he passed, he, no, nobody there that's working obviously knows who, he, who the hell he is, you know, walks into the, into the Cuban embassies like, uh, yeah, I'd like to rejoin the, uh, uh, the military. I'd like to join the military, you know, <laughs> it's like, all right, old man, no problem. You know, he's like 30 something by this time, you know, all right, no problem. So they pull up his paperwork. And they're like, you can't join the military. He says here that you were, you know, you were, you were, you were tried for treason. You were against the the revolution. You can't, you know, you once you did that, you can't do that. It was, oh, I didn't, um, you know, I'm sorry, you know, and I didn't realize this and that. But he just did that to get the paperwork. So he walks out with the paperwork that says that you know he was a a a, a prisoner, a political prisoner. Suckers. That yep. <laughs> so that paperwork, we had a uh, we had a, a neighbor that was part of that uh 
the people that were going to be able to come over to Cuba. Our neighbor did 22 years. My dad tells that story great. He goes, our neighbor did 22 years in a Cuban prison. And uh, everybody knew around the block who he was. He was our, our backdoor neighbor. So my dad goes over. He goes, I didn't know him that well. It wasn't one of those things like he was my best friend or anything along those lines. He goes over and he goes, hey, man, I need you to do me a favor. He goes, you're, you're going to go up to uh, to the American embassy to talk, you know, to, to be to be freed. He goes, oh, yes. Can you hand in my paperwork too? Absolutely. And the guy goes, you know, hands in his paperwork, hands in my dad's paperwork, comes back. He tells my dad, like, it's handed. Don't worry about it. Just wait for a, don't call anybody. Don't, don't ask for anything. Just wait for something in, in the mail. You'll get, you'll get something in the mail. And uh, yeah, lo and behold, very long story short, that's basically how, uh, how we came over uh, uh, to this country legally uh, via essentially that lottery, that process. Very, very, very interesting little cool story. We had to sneak out. A, we, had to, we did have to keep it quiet. We had to sneak out. I was five years old. I remember, there's, there's certain parts of it that I do remember uh, quite a bit. We had to we had to sneak out overnight. Uh, a lot of our family was communist, and uh, so they wouldn't have stood for that, you know. So you can't you don't know who you're telling. You don't know who who's going to who's going to snitch on you or whatnot. So, um, yeah, we snuck out overnight with literally uh, the clothes on our back and a handful of paper papers that my dad still has to this day uh, filed away, like his like my Cuban passport, his his his. His military um, discharge papers, all that type of stuff from from the Cuban government. So um, very, very, very interesting story. But yeah, we came over in 1989, uh, so then landed right in Miami. You know. See, I li- I actually lived and worked in Miami for a bit. I worked for Hialeah. It was my first apartment. I lived in uh, Pembroke Pines, and so I remember. And those lo- you know, that local news station every few days someone would float up to the to the beaches you know and it would be haitian or it'd be cuban um you know and then obviously you've got people from those countries that understand completely why someone would risk their life and get in a you know a boat or i think it was a wasn't there a v-dub beetle at one point yeah it was, oh my gosh, <laughs> it was all kinds of vehicles yeah. but and then you get a lot of you know the other side where you know why the hell are these people coming in when you talk to your parents what are some of the horror stories that you heard that these men and women are risking their lives with their children in Absolutely. tow to escape from. Yeah, man, you know, it, it, it's, it's easy to take for granted the, the, how, how free we are in the United States, you know, like, uh, you know, not, not being able to have, you know, milk to, to, to give your child, not, get, not being able to, to have proper food, you know, like uh, in, in, in Cuba, it's like, oh, or, uh, rice and, and, and eggs, you know, it's like everybody asks, like, well, why do Cubans eat rice all the time or whatever? It's like, well, it's because it's plentiful and it's easy to make and it's like, and it feeds an entire family, but that's, you know, it's not like you have, you know, chicken and steak at the, at every, at every grocery store, you know, certain people only get that or, or whatnot. So, you know, it's so easy to take advantage or, or take for granted how easy, how free we are as a country here that, you know, people are willing to risk their lives, to literally risk their lives to, 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 to come over here. I mean, every, I've been to every single time that I go on a cruise and i I, and I'm, you know, we're on the middle of the ocean. I come outside, you know, at nighttime, or whatever. And I'm literally staring out into the the abyss of what is the Atlantic Ocean, and I, I damn near shit myself. I'm like, you got to be kidding me, dude. People, people do this, dude. Like, think, think about that. You know, people do this because just to look for the American dream, you know. And uh, oh my gosh, man, you know, it's it's something that that I I will never take for granted. I try to I try to ask my, 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 my parents about it as much as I can to, to try to keep that legacy going on into with my own child. 
um, you know, I don't want that to die with them. I don't want that to die with me. I don't want those stories to die, you know. So I'm a very proud uh, uh, Cuban-American. Um, having said that, you know, we're we're very proud Americans, you know, because this is this is the country that the land of opportunity legitimately, and I hate to, you know, be so cliche about it, but, you know, there's a land of opportunity right here. So um, we, we take for granted how how beautifully free we, we truly are here. So you mentioned cruise. I just came back from a cruise three weeks ago. I went with Becky for a full week. Um, and when we booked it, it was Nassau, the Bahamas, um, Coco Cay, which is Royal Caribbean's own little private island. Um, uh, God, what was the name? Far- Farmouth in um, Jamaica. And then Labadee in Haiti. And I'm like, wait, what? In Where? And, you know, I'm thinking of, hey, yeah, here, you know, Papa Doc and Baby Doc, and then most recently that there's no leadership whatsoever, and it's kind of a free-for-all. And the day, you know, the morning that we arrive there, we sail up onto the most beautiful islands you have ever seen in your entire life. I mean, I've been to Fiji, I've been all over the world, and these are some of the most beautiful places. We dock, we go on these beautiful white sand beaches and there's these rolling hills and there's this thing called dragon's breath where the rocks have formed in a way where when the waves hit, you literally sounds like a dragon breathing. And then in the evening, I think I might have told this on one of these other interviews, there's a stand-up comedian and he says he went on the zip line. He says, anyone else been up there? And we hadn't. And he said, right behind where you get on the zip line at the top, there's this big electric fence and he said, and it's not to keep you people out of Haiti. So what it is, is that Royal Caribbean bought this this land on the, on the north, I think it's the northern tip, and then they fenced it. And he says, basically, you're on Jurassic Park. And it's true, because the rest of the island, and obviously it becomes Dominican Republic halfway as well, but the rest of the island is so struggling so poorly that they will leave one of the most beautiful places on earth on a raft to then land in the US and ultimately probably work in a factory, in a hotel, doing some menial job, and they might have been, you know, a doctor, a lawyer, who knows what it was. That's the message that's not relayed. Like, if you see what Cuba looks like, if you see what, you know, Haiti, Dominican, wherever, all these other places where, India, you know, all these places that we have that are absolutely gorgeous. Mexico is a perfect example. No one ever says, why are people fleeing Mexico? The, the freaking, you know, addiction element that we created in the U.S., that drug prohibition started in the U.S., that most of the consumers of, narco- you know, of opioids are in the U.S., and then we're, you know, building a wall and having anti-Mexican sentiment. Well, we created a war zone down there, you know. So that's the, the thing is it's so heartbreaking. How can we as a nation first, of course, fix ourselves, but secondly, diplomatically, assist these countries where their people don't want to leave anymore and quite the opposite we remove that electric fence and people from all over the world get to enjoy the entire country of haiti as tourists and bring you know money and, and wealth to that country you imagine that uh, a life like that and it's funny you know like uh, if you go back to even what got me into my 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 i don't want to say journey but my 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 curiosity about cuba is just like how you know in 19 throw throw a number out there in 1940 and 1950 when the city of miami was you know dirt roads cuba was built up like damn near new york city you know it's like it's this beautiful gem in in you know in in the caribbean and it's just like it's amazing just how how communism and you know a a party can 
can ruin a, a, a beautiful, gorgeous place, you know, so. Well, and especially, I think the, the most haunting thing, and it's been glaringly obvious, you know, the last few decades in our own country is you have a nation of amazing men and women. And as we were talking before we started recording, who's usually their main concern is obviously self-preservation and to, you know, feed their children, clothe their children, put a roof over their children's head and hopefully help them become kind and compassionate human beings. And then we have very, very few people that get into, you know, the the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, whatever, the tobacco industry, and profit off the misery of everyone else. And and to me, it's like the, the next awakening that needs to happen on planet Earth is the people band together and say, no, we're not. Yeah, we, we, I mean, even slavery, and I've used this example over and over again, but when you look at slavery... The entire UK and the entire Americas didn't benefit from slavery. A few people, you could argue ripple effect, but actually at the time, the only people were, you know, the, the, the traders, the slave owners, you know, all those people, tobacco industry. Steve the blacksmith in Lincolnshire, England, wasn't benefiting from slavery. Absolutely. You know, Brian the, the weaver in West Virginia wasn't, you know what I mean? That's, that's the, the problem is that we have this, we allow this to happen over and over and over again where these few people get us into wars, you know, put carcinogens into the country, create obesity. And yes, there's an ownership element, but it's creating the environment. And the moment you know, we have that understanding, like, for example, all the compounding elements that are resulting in the shootings in America can be prevented. 100%. Unless we God. just argue about guns and mm -hmm. then go back to the Johnny Depp trial and mm -hmm. do absolutely nothing for Absolutely. those poor children. Absolutely. 100%. You know, uh, it's funny you said about, oh, taking ownership. You know, it's like, uh, uh, I, I always quote this damn movie line and it's because it's just so like, so true. Men in Black won. Okay. When they're talking in, in, on, on the bridge and, and Tommy Lee Jones is looking at Will Smith. And Will, you know, like, and Will Smith says, well, why don't you just tell everybody, you know, about the aliens, you know, and, uh, and he goes, they'll understand, you know, and Tommy Lee Jones looks at Will Smith and says, a person is smart. People are dumb, panicky animals. <laughs> like, well, damn, you know, yeah, it's, it's so hard. It's, you know, like, yeah, well, someone will take ownership, but the mass, the, to, to reach a mass majority of people, I mean, damn, I haven't found the answer, you know. Well, speaking of Will Smith, perfect example. We're going to talk, obviously, about mental health and some other areas. The moment I saw that, and again, you know, I have all my TV disconnect. I haven't had cable in 10 years, you know, but I have social media, and it came across all of a sudden these memes, and I'm like, what the hell is this? So I watch it, and I immediately see through my eyes, and, you know, everyone has a different perspective, of a guy who's literally at the end of his rope, that, you know, has been publicly humiliated by his wife who cheated on him. I can fucking relate to that completely. Um, and then someone, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back, you know, comment is made. Yeah, it happened right there. Yeah. And right there. and what happened? It turned into a meme. Did anyone say, you know, firstly, did Chris Rock deserve to get slapped? Probably not. But is Will Smith okay? No, it was zero compassion. So again, the people were completely insensitive and uncompassionate you know and what happened nothing what an amazing opportunity to again open conversation on mental health especially in men and it was ridiculed and it was turned into memes and brushed aside and that was it even by people that should fucking know better you know leaders on on social media that did the same thing and shared that shit bro man, 
And it's fun. I mean, this is you were we're opening Pandora's box here, but you know, like mental health legitimately hides hides itself in places and in in places that people don't, for whatever reason, don't want to see. Will Will Smith right there acting out? That's a mental health issue. Um, there's a great, uh, great. Well, I use that term loosely. Great because it's just good, good viewing in the sense of depending how you want to look at it, whether you want to. Uh, hopefully not uh, make fun of him for it because you think it's cool or because you're looking at it from a mental health standpoint. It is a great video of uh, of Mike Tyson having a mental breakdown in in uh, on a press conference. You know, talking to someone that he and he's using some nasty foul language as to what he's going to do to that person. And um, if I mean, just listen, listen to listen to that man. The way that his his voice cracks, the way he uh, is is talking. That's not. That's not evil. That's a mental health issue. That is that is someone that is literally at the end of of, of his rope. Um, you know, mental health disguises itself in so many ways. You know, in, in, within violence, within within alcoholism, within drug use. Um, uh, mental health for for myself, for example, and I know, unfortunately, of people also that that share this common issue with me. Um, mental health disguised it in a, in a sense of never wanting to be alone. I was a a heavy partier. I needed to party. I needed to be around people. Like even when I was not around people, I would go up, I would get out by myself. Like I would go to literally downtown, whether it be downtown Miami, it be downtown Orlando, downtown Ocala, it does not matter. I would go somewhere to go party because I needed to be around people. At the end of the day, what does that say about me? I'm trying to I'm trying to mask my depression with something which was literally just being around people. Uh, mental health disguises itself in a in a variety of different ways. Just people don't want to they don't want to choose to see it. Absolutely. Well, I think so. Before we get to the uniform side, you know, the, the journey of the fire service. One of the real aha moments I had through many of my guests was the impact of childhood trauma on mental health and. Our generation kind of was there when they first really pulled that out into the to the light as far as mental health. But the problem is I feel we got stuck on it's what we see in the job. So now, obviously, I've, I've had my eyes opened by other people. When you look back at your childhood, you know, obviously you moved to a different country when you were five. Are there any elements of your upbringing that you would contribute or you would, you would consider a, a trauma that contributed to struggles later? Man, that's such a great question. I, I actually was talking about this the other day with a, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Chad uh, Belger. And um, I was literally telling him uh, about how my parents are phenomenal people. Great. No trauma, no nothing. As loving as you could possibly get. And I still was a little shithead. I was an asshole because uh, what I contribute as my my inner circle, my circle of influence. And that's what, as I get older, I realize now that your circle of influence really does play a a, a big role in who you are. You know, tell me who you the the closest your closest five people to you are probably going to be what what you're going to to be as. Now I ha- I'm very fortunate. You know, if for any of my friends that are, that are going to be listening to this. I'm very fortunate that I have three, three or four uh, friends that have remained with me since childhood. That you know those 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 individuals know who they are. They're not. They're obviously excluded from what I'm saying right now. But my circle of influence was not good go, growing up in in Miami, and within that circle of influence, it literally just turned me into someone that was not a good person. Um, not that I didn't want to be a good person, but like it 
when you grow up literally with with people that are that are stealing cars or doing drugs or being you know alcoholics or any of the, any of the above, having to go to a to a nightclub on a Tuesday night on a Wednesday night on a Thursday night oh Monday night is girls night Tuesday night is this night Thursday night is holy shit every night is a night you know and 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 that's what your circle of influence is you are going to be um, you're going to be influenced you know and uh, man I I, I it, it it turned into a rough upbringing and not necessarily not not because of my parents by no means i've got i i feel like i tortured them you know but like man when i was by the time i was already 14 yeah by the time i was already 14 15 coming into high school high school was tough man high school in those days yeah i'm 38 i'm not ridiculously old i'm 38 years old but high school in the in that in that time frame i mean we got pushed into having into having sex, if that makes sense. So we got pushed into into that, like, well, why are you not, you know, like, why are you not having sex? You know, why, why, why isn't, are you, you know, are you gay or this and that? Like, no, I'm not gay. I'm 14 years old. You know what the hell? I'm you know, a child, you know what? Do, what do you, what do you mean? You know, mm-hmm. um, you know. And I played, I played baseball in 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 high school. That was the culture. That was the culture. That was a, that was a culture that was being captivated. You know, down there with with like pushing children to do that to you know like uh hazing the hazing culture was was, was huge so it's like you you you'd fight or you you would have you'd be pushed into doing into either doing drugs or, or drinking way ahead of time way way ahead of time why are you know why are you, why are you going to parties and you're being you know shit-faced at 14 15 years old you know i remember literally being probably 15 i was 15 or or so just just say here under 16 because i wasn't driving and i got shit-faced bad badly shit-faced and a friend of mine dropped me off at at the at the house like literally literally dropped me off at the front door like my dad found me in the front door rushed me to the hospital palmetto you remember palmetto oh i yeah. transported there many times that's right yeah, yeah <laughs> i think right. i may have yeah, may have allegedly dinged a rescue that once yeah. on a palm tree but that's <laughs> yeah rushed me to palmetto had my had my stomach pumped you know that was the first time at 15 you know by the time i was 16 years old man i was already doing some stupid shit you know and and you know literally having for, once again your circle of influence by 16 years old man i uh, uh it's, it's, it's you know just bringing shitty ass memories by 16 years old i'd already uh, uh been in fucking multitude of fist fights been drinking all that type of shit you know like it's because it was a cool thing to do or whatever uh a buddy of mine asked to go you know go steal some rims i'm like all right whatever so go steal some rims it's just it's the thing it's the thing to do you're 16 years old you don't know what the fuck you don't know your ass from your elbow you know, and you're literally, you're going out with another teenager to do some stupid shit. We get caught. Thank God we get caught. I actually love the fact that we got caught. It's great. You know, as I, as I get older now, trying to hold back a little bit of emotion, excuse me. You know, and uh, give you an idea, like, what type of trauma I put my parents through. Man, it's like three, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning by this time. Yeah, I left the house maybe at 11 o'clock at night. About three or four o'clock in the morning, my parents are out looking for me. I mean, I have no other way of saying it. They're literally out at three o'clock in the morning in a little, what, 1999 Mitsubishi, Mitsubishi Mirage. And they're out looking for me. Man, they find me. Because as if you remember from your time in, in Dade County, uh, the Jack Juvenile Detention Center is uh, is south of, of Miami Gardens. So I got caught in Miami Gardens. And uh, we're driving south through what would be Hialeah and all that type of stuff to go down to the Jack, which is in downtown. 
as we're driving through Hialeah, my parents are out looking for me at four o'clock in the morning. They literally, James, they literally pull up to the red light next to the cop car that their son is in. And so was that where you lived in Hialeah? Oh, yeah. Okay. Brother, I looked to my right. I'll never forget that night. That is something that, like, I looked to my right, and I literally made eye contact with my parents looking at their son in a squad car. Jesus. I felt like a fucking, sh- like, a, I mean, the low of low. And that still didn't, that still didn't completely change me. You know, it's just the way you grow up, you know. It's just, you, you grow up down there. Once again, your circle of, of influence is a is is so huge so like to go you know to go back to the original question no like as far as traumatic stuff from the childhood as far as my parents are concerned any of that type of stuff no i mean such lovely lovely individuals my, my sister's a beautiful person just my circle of influence was what it turned me into not the person that I needed to be or wanted to be around that around that time frame, you know, going from the late teenage years into the early 20s. See, that's such an important perspective because so you know, more often than not, as with Chad, they're either horror stories or there's at least, you know, I was adopted or, you know, I had multiple step parents. So there's, there's something, even if there ultimately was a loving household, there were things that were contributing. Um, you know, I look back as definitely things, you know, in, in my era, the, the older I get, the more I learn about my family, the you know, the more I'm, okay, that was probably a thing too. Um, but just to, to throw a story back at you, when I was in my, I think it was towards late teens to early 20s. No, it would have been, it would have been teens because I was, my parents were still at home. So kind of mid-teens, I would army crawl like two in the morning into my parents' room. They're asleep in the bed get my dad's debit card, army crawl back out, get on my motorbike, which was completely un- unlawful, unlicensed and everything, drive to the ATM, pull money out, go back to their room, army crawl back in, put the debit card back. Yeah, I mean, I I went through this theft phase. It's funny, it just came up in a conversation recently. I hadn't really thought about it for a while, but yeah, they didn't trust me for years and years and years. And I found my way out. But when we talk about addiction, it was with, with Jake Clark, actually. That's the only time I've personally felt I can't control something. I've talked about all the time about, you know, having to kind of pull the reins on my drinking sometimes, but it was never binge drinking, you know, and it was, there's an element of control, never, never loss of control. But I remember being in that kleptomania phase where I could not stop myself from stealing. It was the most bizarre thing. Mm. Very, very interesting. Yeah. That was, I could not stop my, my, my thing was I could not, I could not say no like for whatever reason it's just like as i it, it took me to be literally a grown adult to be able to look at a friend and be like no i don't want to do that you know that's probably not a good idea let's not do that my my thing as 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 a young adult was un, unable to say no and i don't know where where that stemmed from i you know i have no idea where that, that stemmed from but I, I wish i would have been able to say no more often you know that's that's literally how how, what led me to 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 start heavily drinking, to start doing drugs, to start doing this, you know, whatever whatever it might have been, you know, like first time I did yay, you know, literally was just because someone offered me and I was just like, oh my God, I got offered, you know, how do I say no? You know, and, you know. You listen it, to it, the bushes, you just say no. <laughs> you know, yeah, right? easy. <laughs> I wish it, God, uh, God bless, I wish it, you know, is that easy. And, you know, it's, uh, that, that was my biggest issue as a, as, as a young man, you know, not, not unable to say no. Uh, un, 
uneasy with myself. Uh, I wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't have enough confidence to say no and think to myself, oh, this person's going to think that, that I'm not cool or this person's going to think I'm cool or whatever. I'm going to lose a friend if I say no or, you know, for, to stand up for myself, you know, like to, to be strong. Um, that, that was, that was a weird phase, man. That was, that was such a weird fucking phase. I hated it. Honestly, now that I look back at it, I'm scared. Now I'm a dad myself. I'm, I'm scared to death of, uh, of it, you know, and hopefully my son doesn't go through that. Cause I could, you know, I could, um, show him, you know, like how, cause I'm very transparent with it. Like what, what affected me throughout, throughout my early years, you know, but like I said, man, I wish I could, yeah. I, I wish I could blame it on something as far as like the household is concerned, man. But fuck, if you ever meet my parents, you're going to be like, these two people are angels. <laughs> man. Well, also, but you said about the first five years being in Cuba. Mm-hmm. It's actually, I think it's the first three or four years that are the most formative. Mm-hmm. So it may be, even though your parents were doing amazing things, maybe it was that environment, you know, that, that I mean, you literally fled another country. Yeah. That maybe there was an element of that that factored into, oh. you know, a, 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 a void that was needing to be filled through crime, through drugs, through alcohol, whatever yeah. it was, it had, it had to have been, man. Yeah, especially you know. Once again, whoever, whoever, uh, whoever's not familiar with 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 Miami and Miami Dade County and growing up down there, you know, especially in, you know, you come here at five years old and and you know, and all of a sudden they tr- thrust you into in, into elementary school and you know, you, you you have to go through elementary school and middle school and you're you're, you're barely speaking English because you're learning in, in ESOL classes and you have to you know somewhat fight for yourself and. People think that, you know, you want to make people think that you're cool. You're just not this weirdo, weird kid, you know. Man, shit like that lingers. Shit like that lingers, you know. Next thing you know, you're freaking stealing cars and freaking sniffing shit off of people you shouldn't be sniffing, you know. (laughs) Fuck, bro. Well, hi, Aaliyah. I mean, that's such an, an experience. When I got hired down here... My wife wanted to move to Miami. So Hialeah, I was told by people that I'm still friends with today, but at the time they were my fire academy cadre. They were like, oh, you'll never get hired in Miami unless you're Spanish and you're a paramedic. Well, I was neither and I got hired in about three months time. So for everyone, don't ever listen to this. Oh, absolutely. No, absolutely. But I was the minority in Hialeah and every call was done in Spanish. The road signs were all Spanish. So it kind of reminded me of Epcot. If there was a Cuba in Epcot, that was, that was what Hialeah was. And there were, it was a beautiful city and it was so unique compared to, you know, um, I guess suburban America. But. I mean, the at the time, the mayor was corrupt. His son was the police chief. I mean, that city in itself, I mean, the, some of the men and women I got hired with, I adore them, and I've seen the fucking hell they've been put through in that fire department. So the training was amazing, but the way they're treated is horrendous. For whoever uh, is out there and doesn't doesn't know, like, uh, Hialeah, because Hialeah doesn't get the, uh, the, uh, the press that some other cities across the, the, the country get. Uh, Hialeah is a suburb of Miami-Dade County and don't quote me on this but quote me on this I should probably look it up but if you remove the city of Fort Lauderdale Miami Orlando Tampa Jacksonville if you remove like the big major cities in the state of Florida Hialeah is actually uh, uh, would be the biggest uh, city in the state of Florida so it's actually like a top five or six city in the state of Florida within Miami-Dade County and it's not um, very big it's 97 percent <laughs> Spanish speaking um, nothing but um, but but houses on top of each other with apartment buildings uh, it is it is what I uh, kindly dub the Bronx version of uh, the Bronx version of what is Florida, you know, Miami. You know, it's like that's the, the New York has the Bronx, but we got Hialeah. You know? I think someone told me, and I, correct me if I'm wrong. I think there's more Cubans in Hialeah than there are in Cuba. 
I'm not sure of that. I wouldn't even doubt it. Honestly, I swear to you, I w- at this point, after so many years of migration over, I wouldn't even doubt it. I would have to look at it. I know it's like literally 97% uh, Spanish speaking. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's, uh, and random ass thought about a uh, 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 little, about Hialeah. It's the biggest city in the uh, state of Florida without a, a high rise. It's legit a, a, a massive oh, little I, city. I could tell you exactly why, because being a fireman there, there they had five-story apartment complexes that were 49 and a half feet tall <laughs> because 50 feet and yeah. above you had to have a standpipe yep. that means that every fire you went to you were handjacking hose yep. and throwing over the yep. you know the y and then dragging the two and a half up if you didn't die falling through the rusted out yes. you know fences there so yeah they there were hardly any standpipes anywhere because I remember that so clearly. Forty-nine and a half feet, fuckers. Yeah. Yeah, man. <laughs> That's where I grew up, you know. So, and once again, going back, the circle of influence, you know, like the you could have these. Uh, uh, that's why I'm huge on, and even now, right now, to I, I choose to have people around me in my life that 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 want to be better, that push themselves because it it, it ultimately pushes myself. And I'm hoping that now I'm part of their circle of influence in which I push myself um, every single day and uh to be better so hopefully i'm part of someone else's circle of influence for the positive but you know as a as a, as a young man definitely the circle of influence of uh of growing up down there really fucked me a little bit now you obviously end up becoming a firefighter today you're extremely fit we met in a crossfit gym when you were in that kind of you know middle school high school age what were you doing athletically athletically i was playing baseball that's uh i didn't start getting really bad so to speak with the circle of influence until i got to high school high school was high school was bad high school i, I did not high school i did not like high school at all because of because of the hazing because of the 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 pushing people pushing myself you know, to, to do things that I didn't necessarily wanted to do. High school, I did not enjoy. Uh, pre-high school, God, I think I had a great childhood, fantastic childhood. Uh, uh, athletically speaking, I was playing baseball, uh, optimist clubs, obviously, all the way up to, to high school, and then eventually leading myself up to uh, to Franklin, Indiana, and making a little uh, cup, of, cup of tea uh, a baseball trip up there, you know, before I decided to come back uh, home to Miami. But um, no, I, I, I athletically, I was always, I was always, always an athletic kid. I really was uh, naturally gifted, um, as athletically speaking. Um, you know, it's it's weird. Like right now, you, I've never played basketball in my life. But you give me a basketball, you know, I'll be able to, you know, dribble between my legs and shoot. And you'll be like, "Oh, where'd you play basketball?" Like, "Oh, never." It just, you know, I'm, I'm, I I was able to have that gift of being able to be nat- naturally athletic. So um, I really didn't start getting uh, ironically out of shape until I got to um, a little bit of college. Then I got back in shape. I've had a couple uh, stints in my life where I've gotten out of shape and back in shape. Out of uh, coming back out of college, I was uh, I got back in shape to get into fire academy, and then I did not get back out of shape until I got down to uh, uh, my other fire department, which we'll get into in a little while. But but then that's when I really got out of shape with a little bit of depression and stuff like that. But I was always naturally athletic as a kid. Now again, high school age, you know, you're, you're doing all these things on your side, and it's funny because you just met my son Ty. He just finished uh, his freshman year in high school. And I got to say, you know, Ocala has some amazing schools. Southwest Ocala is, is incredible. And he had all these horror stories. Everyone's having sex in the bathrooms and they're all fighting everywhere. And no, I mean, yeah, there's, those I'm sure have happened in remote things, but he's had an amazing first year. So kudos to, to Marin County School District. Um, but apart from the the you know the negative side, were there any kind of occupations, careers that you were dreaming of in the high school age? No, and no. In in high school, all I wanted to do was play baseball. That's literally all I wanted to do. That was like my job. Uh, that, that that was my job. And after and 
which now in, in hindsight, um, the other thing that I wanted to do was maybe get into broadcasting and stuff like that. Um, in hindsight, I wish that I would have studied that. I really, really wish I would have studied that. I love being a fireman. I thought I think that I've uh, that is a great career uh, path and choice for someone like myself. I, en- I I enjoy I enjoy making a difference. I'm one of the uh, I'm, I'm one of the people <clears throat> that don't I don't do it for 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 the, the the time off the recliners the the movie whatever the hell I do not do it for any of that shit. I legitimately enjoy I, I make I enjoy making a difference uh, in in someone's life. And I don't even th- I'm not even talking about cutting someone out of a car or any of that shit. I'm talking about like just a run of the mill. You know, like, hey, ma'am, do you need help getting up? Do you need anything else from us? I'll give you, you know, give us a call back if you need us. Don't be ashamed to call us back. You know, something along those lines. I legitimately enjoyed making a difference. So from that standpoint, I I, I do not regret being a fireman. But I, I, if I had to do it all over again, I definitely would have uh, studied journalism because I should have. I really do miss the uh, the athletic side of, of, of my life. I really do. Well, you could just jack it all in and start a podcast. Oh my gosh! <laughs> That's what I this is cool as shit. Man. I love it. This is cool as shit. It wasn't what I was dreaming, but God, the universe kicked me in the ass and said, "All right, here's what you're doing next." Um, all right, so then, kind of walk me through graduation. You know where the baseball kind of journey ended, and then and then how you found yourself heading towards the fire service. The baseball journey ended in in a small town in Indiana called Franklin College. To be uh, 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 to be quite transparent, I got a good buddy of mine uh, that played football up that way and was like hey you know come check it out you know you're you're not you're not playing high school ball anymore you might like it up here or whatever I went up there uh shot a uh, a an audition tape to one of the co- to the coach up there uh, I liked the audition tape told me to come up I went up there um I was all set to go ready to go but in that that time frame of my life I was not mentally ready to st- even though I was literally given a shot to come up and play and and and, and make the team and literally play a little bit of college ball, D3 for whoever's wondering out there. Even though I was given that opportunity, I still mentally wasn't ready uh, to do it, to give it all my all. For whatever reason, I was in, in the middle of the country. I did not know what to do with myself. I barely knew how to, how to, how to boil rice, let alone freaking you know, live on my own. Uh, so um, that was around 2000, 2005 time frame, yeah, in 2005. And um, uh, late 04, early, early 05, into the entire year of 05. Um, and then I just... Literally just one day randomly just came back to Miami. I was just like, I'm done. I'm done. You know, like set to go. Everything was ready to go and just I'm done. I went down to Miami and I was tinkering around doing nothing, absolutely nothing with my life. Um, and then one night on a poker night in Hialeah, ironically, back to Hialeah, on a poker night, uh, a good buddy of mine, or at the time, a good buddy of mine. I haven't seen him in over a decade, but at the time, a good buddy, good buddy of mine was like, um, hey, man, you know, you're personality might be well might do good in the fire service you know you want to do a ride time you know i was like, all right so i did a ride time with miami date and that's it the rest is history i went to emt school and i'm you know from emt school went to fire school and i uh, was uh, i became a fireman in um i want to say certified fireman excuse me uh in 2006 seven yeah late late 06 early 07 was that miami day college miami day college yep yep and that's where i went and that was that was it, man. I fell in love with the fire service. I thought that was so cool. I, I thought I thought the fire service like in, encompassed everything that um, that that I was missing my athletic career, what what I wanted to do out of a job. Um, I, I thought it was really cool, you know. And that's actually one of the reasons that I fell in love with the fire service, also, because uh, I stumbled upon to it. There's a lot. There's we have a, we have an issue in the fire service nowadays in which um, 
we have people that don't belong in the fire service um, from all walks of life. I, uh, from all walks, from, 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 from Asians to, to, to blacks, to whites, to Hispanics, to females. We have, I'll say it again, I'll double down on that. We have people of all walks of life that do not belong in the fire service because they, have stum- because they didn't stumble onto the fire service. They, 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 they get into the fire service already knowing um, what I like to call our trade secrets. So hear me out on this. I'm going to go, excuse me for going through my asshole to get to my elbow. But like, I I, I was uh, I was always a, a, a as as a young young man I was always a, a professional wrestling fan growing up. You know, professional wrestlers they, they you know they they always protected their trade secrets. You know, um, and, and I always thought that in the fire service we have trade secrets also, which is, um, which is not secret anymore. But the the, the couches, the rec, you know the recliners, the the movie time, b- basketball outside, you know that type of stuff. Those are all things that were all to, to me. Those are all uh, things that are. Uh, our privileges in, in our service that, that I don't want to say we're secret. I'm not, I'm not dumb enough to say that I, people knew that, that, that we have those, those privileges, but it wasn't out there. It wasn't one of those things that it's just like, Oh, f- firemen don't do anything, you know, for whatever reason in the, in the, in the age of social media now, you know, people are so comfortable with fucking putting, uh, putting online the fact that, you know, like, Oh, I haven't done anything today. Look, watching, watching Black Hawk down at the fire, at the movie, at the fire station today. Well, all that, all that does is just create this. It, it lets our trade secrets out. Oh, I haven't done anything today. Two basketball games that lets our trade secrets out. Um, and what happens is you get people that, that get into the fire service expecting that that is what they do. They're like, Oh, I'm just going to run a few calls while I go, you know, play a game of basketball or while I, while I work out, this and that, what that does is literally creates a, a nasty, uh, uh, side effect of people that like, you could literally have, you could, you could have a guy with 10 months in the job when the tones drop for, for something that's other than a structure fire, you'll hear, ah, oh, fuck, you fucking kidding me, bro. Why? Because they got into the fire service for the wrong reasons. I, when I, and once again, going through my asshole to get to my elbow, I did not get into the fire service like that. I had no idea. I had no, like, I know, pardon, I, I, pardon my ignorance. I'm, you know, but I had no idea about the trade secrets. I knew that like, you know, you, you have downtime. Okay. You have downtime. I'm assuming you, you train or whatever the hell, but like, I had, I had no idea. I got into the fire service and I stumbled onto something that I thought was really, really cool. And I was fortunate enough to go uh to a fire college and 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 do ride times and stuff like that with firehouses that were that were good with men and women that were good at their job and i was like oh and i got taught well right off the bat so since i stumbled upon on it was stumbled upon to it without knowing the trade secrets so to speak i just i i have this deep-seated love for it in which that now i protect if you look at my social media you'll You'll have to scroll years. I don't want to say never because in, in this job, in this job, and in this life, I've noticed that as, as the moment you say never, you'll, it'll, something will pop up. They'll turn you into a fucking liar. So I don't want to say never, but you're going to have to scroll through years to 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 look at something through my social media that portrays the fire service in a negative light. That portrays the that betrays not portrays but betrays the fire service that lets that that trade secret out you you won't see me you know like bitching about a a a call because i went on you know and, and because i had to pick up someone uh because of a toenail at three o'clock in the morning you will not see me do that on social media you will not see me post that you know like oh today's been a slow day i'm 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 watching a movie you know like it's just it's not something that that, that i believe in because it lets out our our it portray it be, it portrays us in a negative light and it betrays our 
our our our beloved fire service. It betrays the trust in in the public. I don't need the public to to think that I'm watching a fucking basketball game or or whatever. I want the public to know that that when they call, I'm ready. That's what I want the public to know. So it's been interesting. I was only a fireman, you know, two three years longer than you were. So and you know, I've been out for three years. So basically, got the same time on now. But when I first when like when I look back and people if. For example, I go on someone else's podcast. Oh, can you send me some pictures? I have nothing from my career because we just ran calls. And now, you know, I, I, there's that element that you're talking about. And I want to get to that in a second. But also what I see is the reverse. Like there's this fucking facade that you're out running fires every day, mm-hmm. which we're not. We're you, not. You're not. We're I not. know you're not because I was in the fire service. You're full of shit. And to me, there's nothing more disrespectful than lining up, leaning on your pipe poles in front of someone's burnt out Absolutely. house. Absolutely. I hate that. So, hate you know, that. that's, I mean, then that's what I'm seeing as well. So it can be used in so many different ways. But do you remember that Lazy Boy prop at Fire Academy? Mm-hmm. You do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was, I was oh, being yeah. sarcastic. Lazy Boy no, prop? No, yeah. No, yes. You had a prop. Yes. The, 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 there was a recliner. At, you're talking <laughs> about the recliner. There was a recliner at the... Uh, at Miami Dade Fire College. Oh, is there? Yes. For what literally reason? A recliner. Is it for the turd to watch everyone it else PT? It was literally a recliner at Miami Dade Fire College. Uh, uh, so we had, we had uh, Cat Martindale. We had... Um, <clears throat> Martindale is the one that literally was the one that comes up all the time in my mind of someone that is just a badass dude. But I remember that dude like looking at the recliner and be like, that's not something that we do. I was just there as a as a prop, as a warning, literally as a prop. Yeah, there, so that's that's, not that's my point. So there was no training we, on we Lazy Boys. Yeah, yeah. There was that no was... training on watching Jerry Springer. No, or, absolutely not. That was never part of the thing. And also, which what class did you do first before you went to Fire Academy? I went to EMT school first. Exactly. Actually, yeah. So all these fucking idiots of our generation that go, oh, I just fight fire. Mm-hmm. The no. very first thing you had to do on this journey was EMS. EMT. Yep, yep. When you pull someone out of. Mm-hmm. The, the structure fire, Kurt Russell, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, yeah. put your lotion and tissues down because you haven't done anything. You just brought a corpse onto the front lawn. It's the EMS skills that you need that will actually save that life. Absolutely. So that drives me up the fucking wall. Absolutely. We are, and this is this is something that I'm going to completely steal, ironically, going back all the way to Miami Dade Fire Academy and 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 stealing from uh, uh, Kat Marndale from Miami Dade Fire Academy. We are first responders. I remember him saying that. And I was like, right, we're first responders. We're firemen by trade, but we're first responders, you know, and we are literally there for everybody's emergency. And that's something when you when you when you're able to reach someone at a very young age and, and let them know, like, hey, listen, that that recliner in the back is is literally something that we don't do. This is a privilege. That's where I got the words privilege from. There's something that you earn. And because that's something that was literally taught for me, like when I was coming up, I didn't know anything about the, about the fire service. I'm like, hey, that is that is earned. That is privilege. Okay, all right, no problem. That's 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 good to know. But when you don't, when you're not taught like that, or when you go to a fire, when you go to a firehouse and you're doing your ride times with people that just literally don't care that they bash your department, any of that. Oh my gosh, dude! I never that. I was lucky once again. I was lucky to do all my ride times with Miami Dade Fire because it's rare to find someone down there to to that that bashes that department. They don't. They they all enjoy working for Miami Dade Fire. So like, I never, I I I never heard anybody bash their own department. So you just Oh man, this is they they like working, you know, they they like running calls and this and that. So uh yeah, man, I'm I'm huge on 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 protecting our, our fire service. I'm I hate, like you said before, I, I hate taking pictures in front of someone's house, you know, like come on man. Hell, be a be a little bit more compassionate. Be a little bit more compassionate. Having said that, so I will say this though. I am huge on if there are pictures 
taken if you could if if it can be done in a in a in a compassionate way if you could sneak them in or something along those lines if you could get them off of online because everybody has cell phone cameras now i'm huge in the fire service in 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 having pictures of scene calls on once again no bodies no nothing along the lines no addresses something like that but if you have scene calls um pictures on your firehouse walls I believe that that sets a tone for anybody coming into your firehouse, though. Uh, first time I ever saw it um, was in the city of Orlando, uh, city of Orlando firehouse, the big, the big house. I go into the big house one time and I literally just walked in. and I'm like, oh, my gosh. And mind you, I was at the time, literally a couple of months on the job. I walk into the big house. And I'm like, dude, these people go to work. It's just pride. pictures after pictures of going to work, going to work. So it's just it, it cultivates this like, OK. You're at a firehouse. These men and women go to work right now. So I do not mind having uh, uh, pictures of, of the history of your firehouse, which includes obviously going to calls and, and, and going to fires. So, but everything to me has to be with a, with a level of compassion. Um, and, and as far as like, I, I literally have seen people take pictures outside of, their, outside of someone's house, you know, like while the homeowner is fucking watching them. Mm-hmm. That's disgusting. Yeah. Uh, well, that, there's a difference. Like you said, you fighting fire and someone capturing it is very different than the four of you lining up, grabbing some soot, sticking it on your face quickly, and then, you know, getting, getting a, this, another picture for your spank bank, you know. Yeah. Now, with the Lazy Boy, I do remember in Hialeah, um, we had a guy who was an AMR medic, and he was part of our higher class half were non-cert, so he went to fire school and they just basically whooped our ass for three months while we waited for them to to graduate. But when he start when he came back, I guess he did you know the fire, so he was back a little bit early. And they would PT this guy was just a, a just a turd, absolute slug. And so to punish what to, they thought would punish him, they brought the lazy boy out onto the drill ground, sat his fat ass because he was very very overweight as well. No, had no fucking business being there in the first place. He was not prepared. Um, and watched them PT. This guy didn't give a shit. Did not give a shit. Now, they fired him. They got rid of him, thank God. But you would think that would be the ultimate humiliation, that you watch the rest of your team do extra PT because you fucked up, and this guy didn't even. And so, like you said, there are people in our profession that have no business being there. And the reason why I always talk about the bar being so excuse me, set so high is I would be the world's worst accountant. I would, you know, I'd be the world's worst lawyer. I'd be the world's worst name, almost every profession under the sun. But when it comes to the fire service, it takes a certain kind of person. That's not put us on a pedestal. It's just, you know, whatever, whatever shape peg we are fits that appropriate hole and the other ones don't and vice versa. So, you know, I've been in places like Anaheim where 25% of our class was gone by the time we hit the end of the probationary year. And they held that bar up and they just kept it. Hialeah was the same. Yeah. I have huge respect for Hialeah because they get treated like shit. Now you have they, the, they had their own fire academy? Yes. yes. No, well, they had, um, they, they, we were all certified. And then there was a bunch of non-certs. So their non-certs went to Miami-Dade, okay. did theirs. Um, I don't know if, I, I think it was just the regular one, the regular class. But they, the, the orientation they put on, the three-month class was, I mean, I, I would hold it next to Smoke Diver some of the, some of the days that we had. But um but it was amazing. So those two departments set the bar for me for the rest of my career. And sadly, the next two, you know, the, the Orange County was amazing as far as it had some great people, but it had some 
people that had no business being there eve all the way up to you know chief position and then the last one you know shouldn't even call themselves a fire department but at the front door having that expectation set so high i was alongside people of all colors and creeds people of all genders and there was only one prejudice you either can or you can't and that's the only prejudice that belongs in the fire service absolutely i could not agree more i don't care i don't care who you are, what you are, where you came from, what you identify as. I don't care any of the, any of the above. Can you do the job? Can you do the job? And that's it. You know, that's, that's literally, and, and how professional are you uh, when you do the job? Cause there are some people that can do the job that just are, are not professional. That shouldn't literally shouldn't be doing the job because part of our, part of our professionalism uh, is a, a high, high level of customer service, whether they like it or not. Um, we are, we should be the standard set every customer service agency across the world, I don't give a fuck if you work for Walgreens or Delta Airlines, should literally, should be looking at the fire service as a, as a model, should be, because we deal with people in in good environments and nasty environments and shady environments, whatever. We deal with people in any in all kinds of environments. That's cool. I'm looking at James's dog. And yes. It's really, really cool. I, I, love <laughs> I don't dogs. know what I'm that pose is. Upward dog, I guess. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He's doing yoga right now. Uh, but the customer service aspect of our, of our job is 100% uh, uh, not, not up to the, not up to par where it need, where it needs to be. Uh, when I say that you need to be a professional, that goes into a, the volunteer ranks. You you could be a professional and still be a volunteer. Um, you need to be, you need to walk into someone's house and absolutely say, you know, how how can I help you today, and mean it. And that is a lost art that not not everybody unfortunately has. Again, from my perspective, and you know, I've got a short career compared to many many people, but. When I came in, Chief Brunacini was, you know, was 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 a god um, in the fire service. Obviously, you know, was mourned when when he left. But I felt like some of his work got distorted, and customer service then became oh, you know, no tattoos and always being class class A's to every call, and you know, oh, you're gonna install smoke alarms and you go mow their grass and you're gonna, you know, bring their mail in. And I feel like that got lost in translation to me the kindness and compassion that should walk you into the hiring process of a fire department is really what customer service is i did a whole chapter on some of the most powerful calls i ever ran on which were the back-to-bed calls and nothing in our sop says you got to get someone off the ground you got to get the feces off their ass you got to change their clothes none of that that all comes from kindness and compassion and you can call that customer service but i feel like that's a horrible name for actually doing the right thing doing the right thing no absolutely doing 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 the right thing you you that is but it's lost it's lost people don't want to do it people people oh that's not my job or no no that that is your that is your job that's just forget your job that's just part of being a nice human you know like you know how about you just you know be a nice human be compassionate uh, but you know, like you have to, there's, there, there has to be a certain level of, 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 of being a badass. You could be a strong man, a strong woman, be just, be someone that labels, you know, you could get labeled a badass, but, but at the end, of, at the other end of that label, there needs to be, there needs to be a compassionate human there to legitimately cater to your audience. And it's okay to cater your audience and, and understand that, you know, like, Hey, not, you're going to be running on a, on a 94 year old that, you know, that, that might be scared because her, because she has a little bit of heart palpitations and then go in there and belittle her, you know, or something along those lines. Uh, you might be running on a, on a, on a 62 year old that was, that was a, a war veteran that, you know, has been, 
that has been strong his entire life that right now he's a little bit salty because you know he has he has cancer and doesn't and and, and needs help getting up and you know when you walk into his house he's going to be a little bit just salty at life and he doesn't mean it to you but you're going to but at the end of the day you're going to you're going to treat that man with the compassion that he deserves and and maybe ask him to 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 share a story or whatever i've literally the other day i ran a call and uh, i saw a lady with, she had piano i'm like you play the piano? A little lift assist. Nothing crazy. And she goes, yeah, I'll play the piano. And she goes, and she told me she started. I was like, how long have you been playing? She goes, well, I started playing when I was six years old. I'm 92, so you do the math. I'm like, shit, lady. You know, so like, so I was like, hey, you play me something. You know, like literally three minutes worth of, you know, like whatever, before we go into service, you know, while we're getting the refusal. She's playing the fucking piano, you know, like it made her day, man. You know, it doesn't bother me to listen to her play the piano for a little bit. And uh, it's, it, it's just, that's a lost art, man. It, it's, such a, it's such a lost art, you know? I remember in Hialeah, I wrote about one incident in, in the book, but another time um, we went on a stroke and the lady was full on, you know, tonic-clonic stroke. And uh, as I can't remember, if, I think it was on a stretcher, as we're wheeling her out, the guy I was with, the medic, is making fun of her whiskers and saying that she should shave and all this stuff. And I'm like, and again, I'm a brand new, I mean, I've been my whole time in, my, my, uh, in Hialeah, I didn't even make it off probation before I moved to California, but that woman probably can still hear, you know? She, and even if she couldn't, like, that's the problem is that y I see a lot of compassion fatigue, especially if you work, you know, inner cities and you just get destroyed over and over again. You guys don't get a Kelly Day. Orange County didn't get a Kelly Day. And I see, I saw my brothers and sisters in, in Orange County turn into it's certain shifts at certain times, horrible people, you know? And, and, the problem is we are kind, compassionate individuals that put the uniform on, but there's sleep deprivation and, and, and organizational stress and elements that beat down the compassion. But also, there's, especially in young departments, there's this facade of masculinity. And I talked about this recently. If you look at the yin and the yang, you've got your soft and the hard. The soft is what made you and I put on the uniform. The hard is that we had to go through all the fire academies and orientations and training and go to the wrecks and go to the fires. And that's when you're in a flow state. That's when there's no time to really be emotional. But after you have to process that and you're compassionate to the people you run on. But if you start viewing yourself as this freaking granite superhero, you stop being compassionate towards the people that you serve. And then equally, if not more dangerously, you stop being compassionate towards yourself. So a real man, a real woman has yin and yang. The moment you become a white circle, you fucking, you're off the rails and you need to find your way back. Yeah. Uh, it, it's funny you say that, man. It's, you know, and, and it kind of leads me to, to thinking about uh, toxic positivity. There is also, you know, people hear me, if you're listening to this podcast, you're, you're thinking, wow, this guy's freaking ridiculously positive. Always, you know, no, no, there's such a thing as toxic, toxic positivity. I and got accused of it once. Yeah, 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 the toxic positivity? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's crazy, right? Like, and not, not many people even know about that, right? So I don't want to be toxic positive, like in the sense that I don't want to always be like, oh, rainbows and sunshines and unicorns. Like, listen, man, I, and we've talked about this, my firehouse runs probably about, uh, 30, between 30 and 40 calls a day, uh, spread, a, spread amongst four apparatuses. She is a busy house. I've always been in busy houses. I, uh, I make 15 years in the fire service uh, in August. So uh, I'm right at 15 years in the fire service. And before that, I work in private ambulance companies uh, in Miami-Dade County, American Ambulance. I always worked in, in, the, in a busier area. 
So for the better part of about 16 and a quarter years, I have literally been known nothing but busyness, whether it be Marion County's District 3 to Pasco County's 2nd Battalion to American Ambulance to whatever the hell it is. I've known nothing but busyness. I, I, that's, what, that's what I do. I'm not saying that at 2 o'clock in the morning, I want to get up with a fucking smile on my face talking about, oh, yeah, it's great, or at 3 o'clock or at 4 o'clock or on my 15th call of the day. Holy, you know, like, I get it. I, I understand to be like, I understand to get up and just fucking be like, oh, damn, fuck me, another call. It's okay. It's okay to, 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 to be like, okay, that sucks a little bit. But once you get on scene, you know, just like be this, be, be, be that person that they are expecting when they call 911. That's, um, that's definitely the only thing I'm saying. But I, I try my hardest not to have that toxic positivity attitude in the firehouse. I want the younger, the younger members to be like, all right, this guy understands it sucks. You know, sometimes, but it's okay to, 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 to think it. But as soon as we, we literally pull out the bay, we're professionals, you know, so. Yeah. I, I, I haven't met someone who's really got toxic positivity though. I feel like that's a kind of almost a fictional concept that miserable people throw at happy people. <laughs> but it's funny. I, one of my, uh, my medics in Orange County, Ryan, um, he actually transitioned out of the fire service too, but he was, uh, a corpsman in i think it was afghanistan if i'm not mistaken and then he became you know a firefighter and a medic and that dude would wail on the dashboard we're driving to a call motherfucker motherfucker and then we get there you open the door hi mom my name's ryan how can i help you (laughs) so be like ryan let everything out in the cab on the way absolutely take a breath and then go do your job i got i got a good a good buddy of mine at the firehouse right now that he's like man you're crazy you're crazy on scene he goes when the call drops you know like and it's like the 15th call of the day you're like what the fuck? You know, but then it's like, as soon as, as soon as you get on scene, it's like, Hey ma'am, how can I help you today? My name is Pablo. You know? And it's just like, what? And I'm like, dude, you professional. You gotta be professional at all times, man. Be the, be the person that, that they want when they call 911. So yeah, absolutely, man. That's great. It's a good story. <laughs> all right. Well, let's walk through your career journey. So talk to me about entering the private ambulance and then how did you find yourself from Miami, or almost southernmost tip of Florida, yeah. all the way up to where we are now in Marion? Well, I worked uh, <clears throat> after that poker game, you know, or you know, where he's like, "Hey, do a little bit of a, a of a ride time." Def- definitely did the ride time. Uh, I enjoyed it. Um, uh, did some rides in 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 Dade County. Did some rides in Broward County. Um, enjoyed it, and then I just I went to EMT school. When I it went to EMT school, got a job at American Ambulance and uh, worked there for about a year and a half. Um, I was putting myself through. Uh, fire academy also that, around that same time worked there for a year and a half got my feet wet into what is uh um patient care man I, I fuck i didn't know what the damn stethoscope was let alone touching someone you know uh patient care and and just really uh, uh understanding the dynamics of treating someone um uh, mostly bls i was I'm emt so uh mostly bls i did work a, a couple als units but mostly bls down there and uh, so when I got hired, or excuse me, yeah, when I got hired, I, I, I had applications out everywhere. I'm talking from Tallahassee all the way down to Key West. You know, uh, one of the things that, that uh, one of the instructors from Miami-Dade, uh, I believe it was uh, Westmoreland, actually, was his last name. I don't know if he was a captain or a lieutenant, uh, but instructor Westmoreland said, uh, don't put your eggs in one basket. And uh, what he meant was, because everybody wanted Miami-Dade, you know, everybody was, oh, Dade County, Dade County. Don't put your eggs in one basket. All right, no problem. So I put, I literally spread my eggs out. And Marion County was the first to call. Um, so went up to Ocala, uh, tested, uh, got hired at the time. Uh, at the time, Marion County was doing a very large hiring because uh, we were taking over the ambulance company. And um, 
and got hired in Marion County in August of 2008. I got picked up there or here. Um, and man, I just got lucky. Marion County, you could say whatever you want about Marion County. Um, it has one of the best fire cultures you'll you'll ever encounter. There is a lot some of the uh, some of the best firemen you've never heard of work in Marion County. Uh, there is some good, good, good old fashioned smoke eaters here, um, and we just happen to be a county that catches a lot of work for whatever reason. You know, out uh, you know, uh, double wise, single wise, whatever it is. A lot of two lane roads, um, so we get a lot of head ons, a lot of pin jobs. We just it is what it is. We just get we 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 capture. A good amount of work um, out here in the southwest side of the county. You know, it's a it's a little bit of an elderly population, or it can be in certain areas. Um, so we're just busy. A lot of a lot of medical calls. You know, so the department runs about a hundred thousand calls a year, over a hundred thousand calls a year. So we're very busy fire department. So I just got lucky to 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 come on board on a good time and a very strong fire culture fire department that 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 kept on that tradition that I was already that was already planted through Miami-Dade College. Miami-Dade College did a phenomenal job in planting a good tradition in, in, in those recruits coming out. Phenomenal job. So I just, I, I, I got lucky in, in coming into a department that was good. Shit, from here, my career progressed though. My, 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 my career progressed and that's when we start getting into like a little bit more like the, a, a little bit of mental health. I don't know if I'm jumping on you or anything, but, but uh, by the time that I was going into, I want to say year, it was 2015 or so, yeah, well, 2015. Uh, so 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, about seven years or so into the fire service, um, my depression was hitting pretty hard. I, 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 was, I was not the person I wanted to be. I was not, I was not in a good place or nothing along those lines. Um, but around that time, I ended up meeting uh, my, my girlfriend at the time, which is my wife now, Vanessa. Uh, God sent. Uh, that woman's an angel beyond, beyond words. I'm not the most religious person in the world. Uh, but I legitimately believe she is my temple. She is my God. She literally is what I what I what I go to for uh, for advice, whether it be uh, physical to spiritual to everything. Uh, she is my she is my temple. Um, best person I've ever met. And um, yeah, man, uh, when she, I met her and she was in a transition in her life because she had just graduated uh, University of Florida, so uh, she was looking for a place to go. And it was just like a perfect storm. You know, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm not in a good place right now. Um, I'm okay. I'm okay with, you want to go to Miami? You know, and literally we left, we left uh, uh, Marion County on, uh, on a whim, uh, which I shouldn't have done in hindsight. But, you know, everything, everything is, is in hindsight is 2020, you know, the old cliche. But, like, we left to Miami. And when I left to Miami, um, that didn't, that didn't she, it, it was successful. Like, we, you know, like, we had a good job. She had a good job, but just something was missing. It wasn't right. We literally just left on there, and we were just like, "What the hell did I do?" You were you in the you were in the fire service? No, then? no, no. Literally, I just I left. I left. I was not in a good place. I wish that I wish that um, that that if I don't think we would. I don't think we knew each other back then. I don't believe we knew each other back then. And I was just not in a a good place mentally. I didn't want to be in Marion County anymore. Um, a, a lot of that had to do with the fact that I was up here alone. My parents weren't up here. I didn't have any cousins, no, no, no family, no relatives, nothing along those lines up here. I had already, um, and at that time, I was about a year and a half removed from a DUI. I was, I hit, I hit rock bottom pretty well with, with, uh, with alcoholism and, and and all that type of stuff while while living up here. It was not, it was not good around that time. So about a year and a half after that, that, that Dewey, um, 
I met Vanessa, you know, and like, so we left, we left to Miami to, to just try to clear my head about eight months down there. And, um, I missed the fire service. I missed what, what I had identified as. What were you actually doing in Miami? What was the job? No, literally not. I was working for a company called, or not a company, but South Dade CrossFit. I was literally just working for South Dade CrossFit. Yep. South Dade CrossFit. I was one of their personal trainers down there. I don't even think they're a CrossFit uh, uh, company anymore. South Dade Fitness, I think now exists, but it's South Dade CrossFit at the time. Um, and then um, I picked up a quick little job at uh, the University of Miami. Um, while I was down there working for South Dade CrossFit, I um, uh, doing a technician in their ER. So that's it. Literally, I was a tech in their ER and just South Day CrossFit, you know, and the, God blessed. I was just actually working in the ER probably fucked me a little bit because all I had to, oh, instead of working in the upper floors, I worked in the ER. And what the hell do I see as an ex-fireman in the ER? Every fucking, every fucking <laughs> city, Miami, Miami, day. It's not guys that I went to, to fire school with. Hey, what are you doing on here? I thought you were, oh, geez, now I got to explain to these guys that, you know, that I quit the fire service, you know, and it's just like, it was, it was, that was, that got me worse. <laughs> Well, it's, it's so, I don't know if you had the same thing, but for me, like I have all my prereqs to go to PA school. And when it finally got to that point, and I didn't do it for that reason specifically. I finished my ex-fez degree, but that was a track it was on. And when it came to it, I'm like, no, because I I hate hospitals. Yeah. <laughs> I like being the dude that wheels dude. in someone. Hey, here's this person. Here's what's broken. Here's what we've done. You know, Absolutely. bye. <laughs> no, I ended up working in the place that I didn't like watching the sh- watching the guys come in do what i do like mm-hmm. i'm like fuck me man this <laughs> shit sucked and what about the the kind of loss of tribe and purpose and all that because that's what you hear you Absolutely. know people transition I, out they struggle with there was a couple times uh that i remember going to sleep uh and fuck, man we were living with my parents i was living with my parents you know i felt like a failure i was like holy shit uh, what the hell did i do and i you know i brought her down here you know, and, and she had a good job. She actually uh, started working for um, uh, uh, Pinecrest Police Department as a dispatcher down there for them. She enjoyed it. She enjoyed it, but it wasn't what she was studying, you know. So I'm like, fuck, what did I do to her? You know, because I don't want to be toxic to her by no means, you know. So I'm like, fuck, I brought her down here. She's a freaking dispatcher. It's not what she studied. Good job, but it's not what she studied. I'm fucking working at the U- at UM hospital. I'm being a personal trainer in, in South Dade CrossFit. I was like, I don't even, and in South Dade CrossFit is in damn Homestead. I live in, at the time we were living in Sweetwater. I'm like, I'm fucking driving 45 minutes to a CrossFit gym. I barely even like, you know, I'm like fucking sucked. Man, I'd cried myself to sleep a couple of nights as feeling like a complete, absolute failure. A complete failure, man. I didn't know what to do with myself. So we came back to Marion. I, I reapplied to Marion County uh, and uh, Marion County was gracious enough to take me back. Um, But, if you know me, anybody out there that, that knows me knows that I have been, I love the fire service and I've been chasing more fire, that's, that, so to speak, for a long time. I always wanted to, 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 to fight fire in bigger buildings or do, or, or just have more action. I don't know. I, was, I don't know what I was compensating for, but I just wanted more action. Mind you, once again, I'll repeat this. I work for a department that catches a lot of fire and runs 100,000 calls a year. I wanted more action. Let that sink in for a second. But again, where, we, where were you looking? Because if we go back to our Instagram thing, oh, these departments are getting all the fire. Yeah. The reality is no. This, no, this crew on this shift on yes, this day yeah. got that fire. Oh, my gosh. No, no, you're absolutely right. And, and Instagram is such a fucking liar. Just like conferences are liars. Everybody goes to a conference and sees like three or four guys from a department. And they're, they're like, you know, and those guys are teaching or whatever. And you're like, oh, bro, because... 
fucking, you know, the city of whatever, you know, uh, the city of Anaheim, you know, the city of Anaheim just has some badass fuckers and this and that. Look there. And it's like, well, wait a minute. These are the five guys that come to the conference that are, that are showing the best face at all. You still have about 1500 others back at home that are probably not, you know? So anyway, yeah, it's conferences. You just, you have to be able to take everything with a grain of salt, you know, part, part in the old cliche, same thing with Instagram. Right. So, or, you know, looking at like, oh, this department's catching this. But anyway, I, I, we, we ended up applying to the Tampa Bay metro uh, area. Um, and I was applying to Hillsborough, the city of Tampa, anywhere in, in Clearwater and stuff like that. And uh, I ended up getting packed up, uh, picked up in Pasco County. Uh, Pasco County is uh, where the Newport, where Newport Richie's at. It's just literally the, the county north of Hillsborough, um, literally butts up to the, the uh, to Hillsborough. New Tampa literally is in, butts up to the city of Tampa. So it's a department, it's a good sized department in the, in the, in the Bay area. And uh, man, I got, I got blessed on there, man. Those guys, uh, I got nothing bad to say about those guys, man. They treated me, they, they treated me great. I came in, uh, they saw a lot of the experience that I had brought in from Marion County. Um, saw the way that I portrayed myself, portrayed the fire service and, um, and, uh, they, they treated me very well after, after a little bit of time at station 12, uh, down there in holiday, a little bit of station, uh, a little bit of time in station 16 in Zephyr Hills. Uh, they put a tower ladder into service. Uh, their first tower ladder ever in in Pasco County, and I was fortunate enough um, to be able to be picked to be on it. So I was on a tower ladder in in Pasco County, and that I mean it went. I have literally nothing bad to say about Pasco County. I didn't I didn't think that the um, uh, uh, <clears throat> Pasco County's cult, uh, fire culture was a little bit different than Marion County's. I think Marion County's is a very very strong uh, fire culture. Like there's a lot of uh, people here that really 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 enjoy the fire side of our, our profession down there um it's a little bit more of an ems driven uh uh region of the state um by no means am i saying that uh that there's not good firemen down there by no means am i saying it's just a little bit more of an ems driven region of the state it is what it is some departments have more fire culture some departments have more ems culture it is what it is um so i missed a little bit of the marion county fire driven culture um and uh so after almost four years there 2019 ending 2019 coming up on like 2020 i'm talking like november of 2019 i can't I, you know because i left marion county and uh, i came back to marion county from miami in in six in in late 15 early 16 right and then went to pasco oh yeah so that's round two oh marion. yeah absolutely okay. my brother yep absolutely then yep after about about a year or so about yeah about eight or nine months so here back in marion county i went to pasco and tried that uh, until 2019. And how much more fire did you get? Well, that's an interesting story. Um, technically speaking, I did get a, a, a not a, not much more fire as far as because Marion County, once again, uh, uh, Marion County's third battalion catches a, a decent amount of work. So as far as like the amount of fire, not much more. But I was able to go uh, to a, a decent amount of fire because the tower ladder and the, the heavy rescued on their squad one. Um, they go to every fire in the county. So it's just kind of one of those things like you're on a rig, on, a, on an apparatus that goes to every fire in the county. So you, you get to go to a, to a, to more than the usual fire station because you just go. Having said that, um, when you're driving, you know, uh, 15 miles or 20 miles, you know, half the time you're going to hear cancel tower one or, or can you help squad, with the hose? Cancel squad <laughs> one, or, you know, so, uh, by no means am I saying, by no means am I saying that, that, that every day we were freaking, you know, going in to do a search on something. Half the time we were getting fucking canceled. But, um, but no, no, I did not see an abundance more fire. You know, it was, it was, 
in hindsight, once again, necessarily not worth not worth the changing of the apartments, the, the headache of changing the apartments. What I mean, that's in hindsight. But then again, I made such beautiful connections down there. I I I helped. I was definitely did not want to say I don't want to say started, but I helped uh, start the Brothers of Pasco Fools down there. Uh, that fool's chapter, uh, which then opened a few doors down there to, to, to start teaching, start getting into my, into my teaching. So my teaching didn't really take off until I got to Pasco County. So I can't really, I can't really hate on Pasco County. Um, I, I was teaching a little bit in, in Marion with, through, with, through fools and stuff like that. But when I got to Pasco, for whatever reason, that just opened up the doors. And, you know, like I eventually met Sean Duffy down in Pasco and that's how we, uh, started, uh, hitting it off. And, and one thing led to another. So, it, it, Pasco definitely as far as my career in hindsight in hindsight if I had to do it over again would I stay in Marion County yeah absolutely why not you know stay in Marion County promote do your thing you know but but Pasco County definitely did serve its purpose as far as like a lot of doors that were being opened to me uh, on the teaching aspect of things uh, because of that move now when you say that it was the first tower did they add straight sticks before or no yeah, trucks at all? Yep, okay. Yep, straight right. sticks. So um, yeah, quince. I like I like the straight sticks. Yeah, Just straight. climb your ass up to the top. <laughs> <laughs> the elevator up. <laughs> um yeah, no, they had straight sticks um uh, one two uh the two straight sticks and a uh, telescope that they had and then they put the tower into service so they have one tower uh, heavy and then a couple straight sticks now they have three i think now did you have to do orientation and probation every time you came back to marion or did they kind of grandfather you in the, uh, second the first the first time i came back to marion i did not they just put me right back on the road and then the second time i was gone for almost four years so it, i did have to do uh orientation just to reacclimate myself with the uh medical direction and stuff like that things that had changed in marion so the second time i did have to do probation uh, orientation, excuse me, orientation, and but not the first time because the first time I was literally I went to Miami. I was literally back probably in eight months. It wasn't even. I don't think it was, I don't even think it was a full year to be honest with you. So one unique perspective that I have, I started in Hialeah, then went to Anaheim, you know, and you know Hialeah was very. Uh, we had engines, and then we did a lot, obviously a lot of rescue, three man rescue there, three person rescue. Anaheim engine and truck, you know, the two medics would jump on a private ambulance, so it was a very different dynamic. I love the way they did that, um, and then. Orange County and then, you know, Reedy Creek, my last place. Very different dynamics in that mix. I would say it was probably one of the best fire departments on the planet in that mix is also probably one of the worst fire departments on the planet. And then a couple, you know, great ones in between. But it really gave me a unique perspective. So many people either know one department, maybe they have a, and I hate this word, but stepping stone department, then they go to another one. With you kind of bouncing around quite a bit, were there any perspectives that you found taking that journey, being re-humbled by having to do probations again, contrasting to some of the guys that all they've ever known is Marion? 100%. 100%. That's why I say, like, in, so from a promotional standpoint, from my career standpoint, I'm not stupid. I understand that staying in one department would have been better for my career. Because right now I would be probably riding an SUV. I, I don't know. Depend, you know, like obviously if uh, uh, tenure on the job, you know, I, I would have enough time to be doing that from a from a promotional standpoint. Now, period, new sentence. I wouldn't give. I wouldn't trade that for for anything. I was able then to see perspectives of other places, specifically when I started or when I helped. It was it was a combination of uh, of, of four guys down there. Uh, including myself that or excuse me five guys including myself that helped start the brothers of pasco fools once we started that fools chapter down there we started getting to be able to play with other people 
Hillsborough County, Tampa, uh, a lot of people, a lot of the guys from from Pinellas County, stuff like that. And I got to just see how all the departments were doing it. Not to mention now, now I'm working for another, you know, I'm working for Pasco instead of Marion. I'm seeing how Pasco's doing it. I'm seeing how 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 everything is different. How how Pasco's training division is different from Marion's training division. How 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 running of the calls is different. Everything was different, even though it's the same profession. Everything was was different, and I was able to start picking up. Uh, uh, and I'm going to use this analogy uh, from uh, Captain Rob Ramirez down in, in uh, where he works now for Coconut Creek. He's a, a friend, a mentor of mine. I legitimately believe, real quick, on on, on a side note, plug for Captain Ramirez, probably the literally the best fire service instructor that you'll ever come across. There, I don't care what your I don't care what your what your name is. I don't care if you work in the in West Coast or East Coast. Uh, based off of the the uh, experience, passion, knowledge. Um, and being able to to com- communicate with the audience that he's talking to, best fire service instructor that you'll ever come across is Kent Rob, Rob Ramirez. So I took this from 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 uh, uh, from Robbie. Basically, taking sand from everybody's sandbox, you know, like and and that's what I started doing. I literally was like, all right, well, I'm going to take a little bit of sand from your sandbox. I'm going to take a little bit of sand from your sandbox, a little bit of sand from your sandbox, and I'm going to start filling up my sandbox because my sandbox was pretty full from Marion County because Marion County ran a, ran a fuck ton of calls, and we have a lot of good experience. But that experience literally only says that sand is only only says Marion County on it. I still have patches of dirt. I still have patches of weeds coming up because that area right there is not filled. Now I'm going to fill it with this little area. Now I'm going to fill it with this little area. Fill it with this little area. I did not start becoming what I would consider a, a, a decent fireman, someone that understood the job until I started really uh, going outside of, of, of my own department. Whoever whoever doesn't go outside their own department is, is setting themselves is setting themselves up for failure one hundred percent of the time, all the time. It's it's a it you you it's an interesting little dynamic in which you you have to play because it's like you could you could say to yourself, all right, well I am I work at a at a station that runs one call a shift, um, and I go to a, a, a fuck ton of, of, of fire conferences. All right, cool. So you have a lot of, ex- you have sandbox. You have sand from other people's sandbox. I get it. Cool. Good for you. You've picked up a lot of sand, but you work at a station that runs one call a shift. Your sandbox is still missing that. You still have weeds over there, just so you know that. Or the other perspective. Oh, I, I, I work at a, uh, at a department, uh, or I, uh, excuse me, I work at a station that runs 20, 30 calls a shift. You know, like I, I got a lot of experience, bro. I got it. Uh, okay, bro. But you got a lot of experience only in your area. So now the weeds are growing because you don't have any other experience other than your area. You have no idea that you're doing it wrong until someone tells you that you're doing it wrong. If not, you're just doing it all right. That makes it, you know, so it's like you have to be, there has to be a fine line in which you have to, you have to be able to straddle the the fence, look at it on, 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 on both sides and be like, oh, I like that side and I like that side. That you have to be able to, 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 to chase busy, chase busy battalions, chase busy districts, be, be okay with running 10, 15, 20 calls a shift. It's okay. It's all right. It's all right to, to run that, get your experience. But at the same token, be humble enough to go outside and, and, and see other places. So for me, I was able to do that going to other departments and going to conferences. I get it. Not many, not everybody's going to quote unquote department hop. Some people are going to stay in their own department. So I'm not, I'm not advocating for department hop, but I am definitely advocating to go to as many conferences as possible and start picking the brains of other people. When you start picking the brains of other people is when you start realizing how good or bad you really are. The common denominator I've noticed from, so many incredible men and women that I 
either a am fortunate enough at least to spend 90 minutes with over you know a conversation like this some of whom have become friends like just this morning one of my teammates on ryan parrott's human performance project is a delta operator i'm chatting to alex racy about my role in this upcoming thing and i'm, I'm sitting there going i'm just talking to one of the most dangerous men on the planet and the key between all these people, you know, whether it's UFC fighters, or strength and conditioning coaches, or Navy SEALs, is humility. And the problem we have in the fire service is we have our silos, and we don't want anyone else in our sandbox, no matter share their sand. And so the the real leaders that I've noticed, whatever is on their collar, whether it's nothing, whether it's you know. 400 bugles whatever it is i don't think that's the thing but regardless yeah. that'd be really hard to put your shirt on um 395 but, <laughs> but um is is the humility to say we don't seem to be having many issues with the way we're doing it but i wonder if there's someone doing it better and i use this example internationally we beat ourselves we beat our chest and say we're the greatest country in the world you hear that from every dipshit that stands on on election day and that's bullshit. Look at the statistics. We're not. We absolutely should be proud of where we are. But the way that you are a proud member of society is you contribute and you push the needle and try and make things better. Finland's education system is amazing. The UK's healthcare system, when fully funded, the concept that you take care of everyone, that the first person you see in a hospital is a doctor, not an admin clerk asking for your social security number, for example. Um, you know, Portugal's drug and Switzerland's drug policy, that addicts are not prisoners, addicts are medical patients. You know what I mean? There are so many great ideas, and it just takes humility to ask other people, hey, you seem to be doing this really well. Can you tell me how you're doing that? I'd love to. By the way, the way you're doing that thing is phenomenal. I'll give you an example in the fire service. Hialeah's crucible of an academy brutalized us. And it set that discomfort level so, so high. And they're like, just perfect example, their hose management alone was incredible. Anaheim, the hose management interior I saw was a weakness, but their preset hose lays and their roof ops, the mm -hmm. truck ops was incredible. Oh, West Coast, yeah, bar yeah, none. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, amazing. And then, and then you go back to Orange County in, in Florida and they're like, oh, we never got on the roof, it's too dangerous. Yeah, like, oh, you absolutely. just put three companies underneath it? Absolutely. Yeah, that makes perfect fucking sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. But then they... You're now a standalone medic, you and an EMT running 20 plus calls a shift. Yes, the fireside is, is incredible. But for me, being a paramedic, the only paramedic on scene to make the decisions that those men and women have to do at that volume, incredible. Now, fast forward to the last one. You know, now they've got a huge target hazard. I won't say that there's many areas that, you know, they excel in, but fire prevention mm -hmm. and some of the unique things, the monorail and all these yeah, things, true. that's where they, you know what I mean? So excel, of those yeah. four, mm -hmm. even though I could point out numerous deficiencies in some of them, the point is, what are you doing well? And then, okay, this department has some areas that needs to fix. This one may have a lot of areas, but it's only when you're humble enough to say, there's weeds in my sandbox or there's sand missing that you can actually then start knowledge sharing and raise every single fire department up. Oh my God. But now you're talking about being able to, to, to have humility enough to say to yourself, hey, I want to share a household in which the dude to my right is a bad motherfucker. The lady to my left is a bad motherfucker. The little kid in front of me is a bad motherfucker and everybody is a bad motherfucker, including myself. And not being able, not being being able being humble enough to say 
hey, man, I don't need to dim your light to make mine shine brighter. I don't care. Mine will shine. Let yours shine, too. You know, and man, that's 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 harsh. You know, and you have to put you have to put egos down to to be able to do that, which in turn obviously makes training divisions better. And bar none, there's no that even you're you're gonna have to talk to your to your blue in the face to convince me that the, the backbone of every fire department is not the training division. The training division needs to it needs to it's the first thing that 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 every recruit sees. Every recruit every every recruit goes to the to the admin. They do their their high risk stuff. They do all this stuff. Every hey, congratulations this and that. Day one, what does the recruit see? The first, re- the, the 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 first round of, of of training officers that go in. What is your training officers looking like? What are they What are they presenting? You know, are they presenting just the ideas of your department? Or are they they're presenting ideas of every department that they've able to share knowledge with? You know, um, are they are is that training officer trying to just be a dick to 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 the new recruit and making his his shine light his uh, his light shine really bright while dimming the recruits, or is that is that training officer saying, I'm going to make you a bad motherfucker because I am one too and I want you to be one? You know, like, so the training division, uh, the, ba- the backbone of every fire department is the training division. Without, without a solid training division, you're probably going to have trouble out in the field. And that includes, by the way, and that includes fire and, 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 and EMS because uh, a, good, a good culture of EMS is also set in your training division. Because if you go into, in, in, into a fire department and the first thing you hear is from, from, your, uh, from your training officers is like, ah, fucking EMS sucks or whatever, you start, you start uh, developing that right there, right off the bat. You start de- developing that training scar into those people's minds that when they go out into the field, like, oh, we're just here to fight fire. No, 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 you're, you're not. You're here, to be, you're here to be a first responder. You're here to be a bad first responder. But you're here to be a, 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 a first responder, not just a, a firefighter. So absolutely. Again, with with Hialeah, I mean, all the instructors could walk the walk physically. Um, but I mean, progressively as well. I remember one of our. I wish I could remember his name, but one of our. Um, it wasn't really. I think he was kind of like the paramedic lead, but I mean, he had us talking about electrolytes and rehab, and I mean, they had like great rehab. We had cooling stations, and you know, we'd put ice towels over our heads and everything. I mean, bearing in mind we're doing the academy in Miami in <laughs> in July, August, whenever it was. Um, but uh, I, we were using capnography. We were using MAD devices. We were using things that I didn't see in other departments for almost another decade. So they were uber progressive, and even though they set the bar so high on the fire side they held that medic side just as high. We did IVs on each other. We did all, and these were EMTs. You know, we did all kinds of stuff. Um, but even understanding, like the, like I said, the rehab and, and rest and recovery, Hialeah did a phenomenal job. And bearing in mind, politically, they were swimming upstream. I have nothing but admiration for them, regardless to set the bar high and say, even though we have, you know, very little support from our city, we're still going to make sure that anyone that wears a Hialeah badge is at this level. And, and I have nothing but immense gratitude for them setting the bar for me on my career. Wow. Yeah, uh, that's great. That's great to hear, for, especially from the hometown department, man. That's, that's, that's really good to hear. And it's not a surprise. Anybody that knows that area down there, uh, I, I don't want to live in that area anymore. Like, there's something I'm very, I'm very happy in the central, in the central north uh, portion of the state of Florida. I really love it up here. I, it's not something I ever want to leave. Leave. I enjoy working up here also. Uh, but I'm very uh, proud of that area down there because the foundation for what I actually have right now was set through Miami Dade co- co- uh, Fire College and through my ride times down in, uh, in Margate. I did ride times in Miami Dade and in Margate. So that's where, that's where that foundation was set 100%. So, circling around again to your timeline, 
So when we were talking, you mentioned that, you know, you had a low prior to going to Miami. You mentioned, you know, going from very fit to deconditioned oh, again. Yeah. So kind of walk me through the the mental health journey and where the departments changed, um, fitted in and in a way you, in a way you found the the strength or that aha moment to to begin sobriety and then what yeah. like the pressure hit me the, i think the pressure hit me hard when i was down in in in, in pasco once again uh uh chasing something that wasn't there you know at the end of the day i wasn't i wasn't really uh too happy um we had moved down to the tampa bay area i'm just sitting there like oh i'm here my wife's here our family's not here i'm just here because of the job you know i'm not getting everything that i want out of it once again and i just I got out of shape. I was just depression hit and not necessarily where I was uh, drinking myself to death or anything along those lines, but I was just not, I, w- I didn't want to get up out of the house. I didn't want to get out of the couch. I wasn't, I wasn't doing anything to help myself physically or mentally. Nothing, my routine never, literally never changed uh, throughout, uh, throughout my time. Um, and then uh, uh, right before we came over, or back to uh, back to Marion. Uh, so a mutual friend of ours, Gary Peterson. So Gary was down there in Pasco County with, uh, with me, and Gary was you know like just ribbing me at the firehouse one day, you know, and like we we're just messing around. And Gary's like, "Man, you look like you ate yourself." And man, I would just uh, it's yoga again. <laughs> he uh, he looked like you ate yourself, and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, dude, I, that's that's not you know, that's not." cool like i literally look like this you know so uh little by little man at the, uh w- with a little bit of motivation um uh from gary uh we started working out of the station just little by little just like run one lap walk one lap run one lap you know a little bit of a workout here and there and then um uh then shortly after that obviously um uh what happened with his brother happened uh with you know obviously the uh, uh, the suicide with his brother that was that hit that hit us hard that hit us very very hard that was a that was a that was a huge thing um and uh f- mental health was at the forefront of what of of what we were talking about and physical health and stuff like that so that was uh right after that is when gary and i decided to come back to to mary and we both came back together and um i figured that that would be a good time to start kind of unfucking myself as far as physically is concerned. I started unfucking myself physically. Uh mentally I still wasn't exactly ready there. I was still I was still not in sobriety completely there. Like I I, I was still eating like shit. I was still drinking. Just trying to get better physically. You know, I was in my mind all I wanted to do was just make sure that I passed CPAP and get back to here and not make myself look like a like an asshole during orientation when I come back over here. But that's that's a selfish reason. That's you know, that's not that's not like I'm trying to get better. That's just I'm just trying not to look bad. That's a low bar. That's a low bar. That mm-hmm. is a ridiculously low bar. That's not you know, um and then um I got back here to 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 Marion. I was in better shape. I was 100% in better shape, but still mentally not there. So physically, you looked at me and you're like, "Man, you you look good. You've lost fucking 30 pounds. You know, you're running you're you're running miles at a time. You're fine. You're doing all these types of workouts, but mentally I still wasn't there, ready to ready to to give myself up, so to speak." Um and then uh about 2 years and 2 months ago, uh on my wife's 30th birthday, um I I ended up being a fucking asshole uh, in seven ways from Sunday uh, that day to her. Uh, 
when I tell you that that woman is uh, is 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 my temple, that's uh, uh, I don't even begin to the, the words don't even come out. It's hard to even describe what she means to me as a human being, um, and uh, I was an asshole to her that day. And uh, man, I I don't I've never thought of suicide. I don't, it's never crossed, like it, I never got to that point, but I was low, man, I was low, I didn't want to be around people anymore, if that made sense, it was just like, a, it's a weird bar between like, suicide and not wanting to be around people, somewhere in, in that little bar, um, literally just, uh, just crying in the shower, just didn't know, you know, what to do with myself. And I just had a real come to Jesus meeting uh, with myself, literally in the shower, crying. <laughs> Every single memory that I ever have, that I wanted to have, I don't have. Because every single time we're doing something good, I'm a huge baseball fan. Marlins winning the World Series. I'm a huge uh, UM fan, Hurricanes winning the national title, things along those lines, parties, weddings, get-togethers, vacations in the Keys, vacations in the mountains, cruise ships, all that type of stuff. All of these fucking memories are blurry. They're blurry. Why? Because you fucking drink yourself to fucking death. You wake up in the morning, you feel like shit, you fucking throw up, you, you probably look like an idiot the night before because you, you probably threw up in front of in, in front of all your friends. So it's like, the memory that is supposed to be a good memory is fucking blurry. You look like an idiot. And then the next day you look like sh you feel like shit. I started realizing that all of those memories that I want to have, I don't. And then I started realizing that every single time that I've ever made a shitty decision, whether it be a, a, a DUI, taking something that didn't belong to me, something along those, being an asshole to someone, Every single time that I have hurt someone nor or myself, it was alcohol related. I'm like, huh, I'm not a fucking mathematician, but there's a common denominator here somewhere. And uh, that was the day, that was the day that I decided to unfuck myself because I just, at that point, I could take, I could take getting arrested. I could take losing my job. I could take, you know, my friends fucking saying, you're a dick. Fuck you. Whatever. Whatever, man. Okay. I refused. I refused to lose Vanessa. I, I just, I, I, that, that was, that was my come to Jesus. meeting. I was like, this, this woman is, is literally God sent. And if I lose her because of my own stupidity, that bar that we were talking about was going to start being very blurry towards a towards a very dark side that I really didn't want to even start even thinking about. Um, man, and that that was that was the day on her thirtieth birthday, and uh, I have had the best time of my life ever since because I have been as clear headed as I've ever been. Um, I go to the gym every single day. Oh, I have my I have my split schedule in which I follow, obviously. Uh, my rest days and stuff, but I go to the gym. Uh, I make it a point. 
Like I make it a point. Does not matter if it's 7 a.m., 4:30 in the morning, 10 p.m. The gym will be done for the day if it's a day that I need to go because it is my therapy. It's what it it it's now. I went from that low bar of like, oh, I'm just gonna work out. I'm gonna work out because I want to make sure I don't look bad. To now, I'm gonna work out because this is what makes me feel good. And now the bar completely changed in my mind. And it was a beautiful thing. And I didn't, you know, and, and for anybody out there that's like struggling with any type of depression or alcoholism or, or drug abuse or anything along those lines, you, you, you could have all the friends in the world to say, hey, I'm here for you or call me or uh, all the PTSD hotlines and all this other shit, whatever. And I don't mean shit, but it's like you have all these things. But at the end of the day, you have to be able to want to change. If you don't want to change, no, nobody's going to change for you. And then you have to be able to change your own. Within wanting to change, you have to be able to change your life. Like my depression, my alcoholism, all of it was changed when I started changing what I did on a daily basis. So like if you wake up every single morning at seven o'clock in the morning and every single every single morning you wake up at seven AM and the first thing you do is check Facebook and then after that you go down and have a, a, a cup of coffee and then you and then you have your breakfast and then you get in the car. If that's every single thing that you do every single morning is literally or, or, or throughout the day never changes and you're in a state of depression, what's the definition of insanity? Keep on fucking doing the same thing over and over again. You have to change it. So if you wake up at 7 a.m. every single day, I don't fucking wake up at 5 or wake up at 8 or wake up at 9. Change your routine. Or just if, don't look at Facebook. Change, or don't, yeah, <laughs> don't look at Facebook. Yeah, exactly. Actually, it's funny because uh, even my, 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 my social media feed, obviously it is what it is. We're in a world that's connected. It, I'm not going to, you know, a, being disconnected from a world that's connected. Okay, I get it. But my social media feed i completely changed it i put stuff on my social media feed in which i i want to actually look at and it's something that i uh, once again going back to chad belger is something that 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 chad and i uh, agree with uh, uh and see eye to eye, uh, eye to eye with on a lot which is my social media is literally filled with shit that i want to look at that makes me feel good like i want to look at anything i don't care dogs working out cats funny videos whatever makes me feel good is what i'm gonna look at i i, I refuse to fucking put anything that that's like oh what well, kind of sucks or or something that brings me down or, or or whatever it is you know like and, and i refuse to have anybody on my social media that i'm like that like that i don't like i'm not gonna look at someone's video or, or picture and be like oh, oh no no that anything anything along those lines throughout the day is a cancer is a cancer to your mind so i my entire social media is completely like with stuff that I want to look at completely or only stuff that I want to look at. Um, but yeah, if you don't change something throughout the day, if you just every single day, you're like, you, you go through the same exact process and you're in depression, you're going to be in depression until, until the day you die. Uh, you have to change something, your diet, what you view, what you see, what you hear. Like if, if every single day you wake up and you listen to country music and, and, and you're depressed, well, stop fucking listening to country music. I don't know. Listen to rap. I don't care. Whatever the hell, you know, figure, figure something out. You have to change something to, to make a change in your mind. And then after that, you know, a little bit of motive to me anyway, you know, going back to that's funny, a little Jocko quote, whatever I'm uh, a very cliche Jocko quote. But after after you start changing stuff a little bit, then you start getting into motivation because motivation fucking comes in. Then, you know, two or three weeks later, motivation fucking goes to shit and then discipline has to kick in, you know. And then after that, it's just what do you think? I, 
you know, like it's funny because I, I wake up legitimately. My, uh, like I said earlier, my firehouse runs about 30 calls a shift. On my shift days that I'm scheduled to work out, I wake up at 4.30 in the morning. 4.30 in the morning, I get up, I go to the gym at 5, and I live from 5 to 6. And at 6, I, I, I leave because I live about an hour and 30 minutes from my firehouse. I leave at 6 o'clock in the morning the gym to get to my firehouse at 7.30. This is what I say to everybody out there. What, do you think I fucking want to get up at 4.30 in the morning? Uh, it rhymes with fuck no. <laughs> but I do it because it's good for me. Because I know it makes me feel good. Because it's it's for the better of my health. Beautiful. Now, when I when I listened to that, um, I had a great conversation with Chad. I think it was the first one, and he talked about a book called The Introvert's Edge, and I ended up having the author on. But oh, several people now um, of all different you know walks of life have realized that they were introvert. So when they went out. They, they wanted to be the party animal, but alcohol was the, the kind of anesthesia for their anxiety to allow them to be the party animal to feel like they were, you know, part of a group. You kind of sought out being out before. When you stop drinking, you know, you're forced to face every feeling. So what did you see? What did you discover about yourself? And how were you able to get past that where you would have just self-medicated? Again? It was awkward at first. I will not lie to anybody out there. It was very awkward at first because it's like you, you feel like you need to have something in your hand. You feel like you're like, oh, I'm not fun, you know, whatever. It was very awkward at first. You And I, I did not like it. Uh, I, 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 I need energy drinks. Like, oh, I need to have an energy drink or I need to have a Diet Coke. I need to have something in my hand, you know, uh, to make it look like I'm drinking or something along those lines. But I started realizing that, that my friends were, once again, my, my circle was, was now a positive circle. Uh, we talked about like a negative circle of influence when I was a young, a young man. Now my, my, my circle is a positive circle. Um, even all of my friends, not one friend of mine that I, that I currently have in my circle Gave me shit for it. Not one was like, oh, what the fuck? You're not drinking? Oh, come on, pussy. No, no, nothing, nothing. Everyone was like, oh, dude, yeah, oh, I'm, two months, oh, I'm two months over. Two months over? No shit, bro. Good stuff. Oh, four months over. Four months? Dude, and, it, and it just progressed like that. And it, it, having a positive influence around me, started. Re- I started realizing like, well, I can, it's okay, man. This is cool. I could be looser on, uh, around these people. And now I've gotten to the point where I'm very happy uh, being sober, even around people that are, are that are drinking, um, and I am okay even with being uh, in a bar. I don't I don't even mind it. I just order a diet coke or, or something along those lines, um, and it does not bother me one one bit. Um, I get my high off of other things. I legitimately get my high off of other things. Um, uh, fitness. We talked about this before even we started recording. Uh, the the uh, the high that people. That I used to, I don't want to say people, I don't want to categorize everybody, but the high that, 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 that I used to chase when I was chasing the buzz, because I don't think anybody wants to get really shit-faced. Everybody wants to get that buzz, and then, the, and then shit-faced happens. Um, but that, that high that people, that, that you get when you, when you get that buzz, that perfect buzz, is the high that I get when I, when I, when I do fitness. When I do fitness, that makes me feel good. Um, nowadays, I legitimately will w- walk outside and go for a run on on in my block in my area and if it you know especially i don't care if it's a rainy day if it's a sunny day the smell of the grass fresh cut grass the smell of 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 the sun or excuse me of the rain the other day i went for a a a beach run it was my it was dominic my son his first beach day and um i went for a beach run my wife was like i'll I'll stay here i was like i went for a quick little mile run you know 
nothing 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 crazy the sand on my foot the 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 smell of the ocean gives me a high gives me that same high that I was that that I was chasing while I was while I was drinking or while I was high or not you know something along those lines it feels good and I wish that everybody would understand that that high that you're chasing there can be found through fitness but it's just harder to obtain because you need to work for it as opposed to just pop a can and drink or 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 light a light a cigarette or light a blunt or whatever you know it's a lot easier to get that high than to work for it but i but i found it and uh i wish everybody i i wish everybody felt the same hell i feel better man i used to have fucking night i used to have back pain i don't know like i used to literally take a shower and be like oh my back hurts i used to be i used to drive if i if i went to the mountains Let's just say I went on vacation to the mountains or I went to Orlando or I went down to Miami. I went to the Keys, whatever the hell. We couldn't drive more than fucking an hour and a half before I had to tell my, my wife, hey, can you can you massage me? She literally, she'll be listening to this and she'll laugh because she'll be like, yeah, that's true. Oh, she would have to <laughs> massage me because I'm like, oh, massage me. Oh, I have such pain in my in my, in my my shoulder. I have such pain in my lower. I had pain. Fuck, of course I have pain. I'm fucking 240 pounds, at, you know, at, at some point. And chronically point. inflamed. Yeah, like, I. it's amazing. I, I went to work out i got better i'm working out for myself you know like working out to to make myself better oh lo and behold i don't have pain anymore i don't have to be massaged after a two-hour drive it's amazing how that works you know but they fucking they they'll shove fucking prescription pills down your throat and all all the other bullshit you know like no just physical fitness get out walk run get on a bike get on a roar you don't have to you know there's different levels of, of of everything it doesn't matter you're still playing the game it doesn't matter whether you're in the first inning or in the ninth inning you're still playing the game get out and fucking play the game i get there's different levels but just get out and run and just feel feel the sun feel the vitamin d hitting your your face you know like it will make you feel better and uh i wish i i wish people would 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 feel that you know i, I try to convey that and i wish people would feel that because it worked for me because i was I battled depression. I battled alcoholism. I was overweight. I'm not a big boy. I'm not. I'm not six five. Whoever doesn't know me out there, I'm six foot. I'm right at six foot on, on a good day. I'm probably five and a quarter. Two hundred and forty pounds. Do the fucking math. That's not good, <laughs> you know. So, I wish people knew that, you know. So, uh, it's uh, that's one of. Uh, it makes me feel great, man. Really, feel the f- physical fitness. Yeah. Well, I mean, thank you for sharing that story. The more of these that we hear, especially from people like yourself that are out there walking the walk and, you know, teaching and, you know, attending conferences, you know, we have to be vulnerable. We have to have the courage to actually tell our stories. Um, staying on the fitness for a moment, we were talking about this before we started recording. I spend a lot of time talking about the environment that we're in. Right now, you work a department for a department that works 56 hours a week, if you even get to go home, we're not being mandatory again. So there's a lot in that. But I also talk a lot about how, for example, admins and even unions push against annual fitness standards. And one of the things that I find just such hypocrisy is you see people beating their chest and talking about leather helmets and smoothbore nozzles, and their bunker gear looks like it's about to explode. So let's talk about fitness in the fire service for a second. What's your perspective of, you know, what should be required and then let's kind of transition if you have any opinions on actually putting a standard back into our profession. Um, I once had a chief and this is, I'm very transparent. This is the only time I won't be transparent because I, 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 I still have, a, I still know him very well and I still have an immense amount of uh, respect for him. So I won't, this is the only time that I'll, I'll just keep it very blanket. 
I once had a chief say, well, we can't do, uh, uh, why are we asking people to do uh, uh, push-ups? It's not like we're doing push-ups on the fire ground. I could not disagree more with that statement that I was, that it gives you an idea of the, of the, that old school mentality of like fitness is not important or, or that I'll figure it out when I get there type, type mentality. I mean, I, I, whether you like it or not, police officers, military, firemen, we are tactical athletes. I, there are professional athletes that get paid millions of dollars that when they get in our fire gear for a, you know, like one of these commercials or, 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 or things that they want to do, you know, like in, to get involved in the community and they get in fire gear, they'll literally take their fire gear, fire gear off and look at the camera and be like, ooh, that's a, that's a different ball game. These are professional athletes. Every single, I read somewhere, I, I'm hating myself for not remembering where or, the, or where, the, where the quote came from, but I read somewhere that when a firefighter is fighting a structure fire, like full-blown, like lines on the ground, we're going into work, we're, 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 we're pushing through the house, what, the stress that is put on the body is equal to the amount of stress that an Olympic swimmer goes through when he does a time trial, he, he or she does a time trial in an Olympic run. Well, how many of us look like fucking Olympic athletes? But you're putting the same amount of stress on the heart? Come on. Come on. It is physical fitness in our job has to go hand in hand with understand, understanding the tactics of the job. You could be a ridiculously good tactician. One of those tacticians that you're like, listen, I'll, fi- I'll follow you through hell and back if you tell me that that, that, that little corner right there is going to be safe for me to operate on because you're that good of a tactician. But you could barely button your fucking bunker pants. You're no good to me. You're no good to me. There I said it. I will stand by that seven ways from Sunday. The same way that if you are a ridiculously good athlete or a, and, and, and really good in, in, in being good in shape, but you don't know your way around the fire ground, you're also no good to me. The fire service needs to have that fence straddling. You have to be able to be a good tactician. You have to be able to take classes, go to those conferences, fill up your sandbox as we talked about. You know have how to, to use there's your tools. No, there's no other way around that. You have to, but you have to be in shape. And if you're not in shape, you are being you are not being helpful to the situation. You're not being helpful to your crew. Nothing. This is this is something that 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 I'm that I'm huge on. I don't even I, I won't even apologize for that. You you have to be in shape. And nobody's asking, nobody out there is saying you have to be a freaking Olympic athlete, but for fuck's sake, just you know, it has nothing to do with looking the part either. I'm not asking. Nobody's asking to have a six pack. Nobody's asking to be, uh, uh, you know, in, in bodybuilder shape. Just get acclimated to your gear. Work out in it. Understand what it does to you. Understand what it, what what it, what what the heart rate does when it comes up. 120, 130, 140 beats a minute. 150. Though all those beats a minute right there will really, all of those will literally cause 
will cause the body to react differently. When we teach search and rescue, one of the, one of the things that we teach is literally having uh, uh, someone uh, being anchored and having uh, uh, and having a lead searcher. Why do we lead someone at, at, at a doorway and not and not have both? rescuers inside searching because I want to have one searcher with a high heart rate and one searcher with a low heart rate because the low heart rate one is the one that's going to be acclimated to 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 the building uh, orientation to the radio to every anything along those lines so when the lead searcher the lead mule is out there and he's and he's busting his ass and he gets and he gets that 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 victim and now his heart rate his or her heart rate is at 170 beats a minute 180 and fucking oh my god I found the victim he doesn't have to he or she doesn't have to get across the radio now like <laughs> no well, like, where the hell is the front door yeah absolutely so now we have someone that is that is sitting you're still going to be sitting at 120 beats a minute 130 that's fine but that's but you're acclimated to your gear you're 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 in shape you understand what's going on now you're acclimated to the front door now you're acclimated to see where where the nearest window is you're you're, now you're able to come across the radio hey rescue 21 marion be advised we got a victim coming out the office side now you're able to do all of that stuff that's why we separate those two those those two the, the the lead searcher and the and and the orient man that's why we separate them but within that you have to be able to be physically fit to be to be separated and you have to be able to physically fit to 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 maintain that 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 heart rate if you cannot do that you're no sorry you're you're no good you're no good on the fire ground uh same thing with i i'm not a cop but i'm assuming with cops you know like you imagine having a a, a ridiculously good tactician cop that's like oh yeah you know every single thing about uh, uh about uh, about police work and tactical work but like bro you can't even you can't even button your 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 waist belt, you know, to, you know, how the hell are you going to run after someone that's trying to, to, to harm me? You know, so uh, we are tactical athletes, whether you like it or not. Yeah, I had a real kind of jarring moment. And it took me back to when I was a lifeguard years ago. Lifeguards have a, a fitness standard. We have to pass it, I think it's every two years, but you have to research. You have to do your pool time. You have to do your, your toes. You have to do your victim extraction, all these things. And that's a very, you know, if you, especially if you think of like a pool lifeguard, you know, children do that. You know, high school kids do that. And they're required to be at their fitness. You look at the ocean lifeguards, they have a high, high bar that's set. And if you can't reach it, sorry. You look at a lot of the special ops community, their bar is set. And I'm sorry, you're not in the teams anymore. I wish we could do that. Yeah. But, it, but why not? I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, don't know. The city, not to call anybody out, the city of Miami, look at when, when, when this interview is over. Get on your phone and fuck around and, and look at the city of Miami police requirements. A handful of years ago, I was looking, you know, when I was down in Miami, going back to like when my time in Miami, trying to just figure myself out real quick uh, within that eight months time period. I was like, oh, I'll look at the uh, city of Miami police, stuff like that. Look at the city of Miami police. Their requirements change based off of their requirements for entrance exam change off of age. Why? So literally, I shit you not. Unless it's changed over the last couple of years, then I apologize to anybody from the city of Miami. But literally, 18 to 20, 18 to 25, 25 to 35, 35 to 45, and it changes based off of male and female. Oh, uh, push-ups have to, are different, the pull-ups are different, and the mile run is different. Why? That I don't, I don't, for the life of me, someone out there, please uh, message me on Facebook and tell me why. Because whatever you're whether in the fire service, whether you're, or in police or military, the enemy, whatever the enemy is, you 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 deem the enemy, whether it be a person, a thing, a a a building, whatever the hell, the enemy does not care what you are, who you are, how old you are. You have to take care of the enemy. I I don't understand that. I don't understand why 
why why why physical fitness is so frowned upon why why levels change that is something that we do here i will say this uh, a, a, a that we do very well here in marion county uh we're one of the few i don't want to say that we're the only ones we're definitely not the only ones i know i think orange county also does it too i'm not sure uh you could uh point me in the right direction on that one but we're one of the few departments that have our own uh physical fitness center um and we do uh do two yearly um uh, physical fitness tests uh, to maintain the standard that is there. I use that into quotations because it is what it is at the end of the day where a, the, the entire fire service is a union-driven industry. And when our biggest our biggest asset is our biggest liability, which is a union. When you have unions, it is a big asset, but it's also that, 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 that hindrance of like, oh, well, the union says that you can't do this. Yeah, that's fucking bullshit. But it, 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 it is what it is. Our, I wish the standards were a little bit tougher but at least we in marion county do have uh we're one of the few departments that has two yearly standards um and uh we do a firefighter mile uh and we also do a uh a few months later on the line we do uh, a squat push-up kind of fitness challenge that, that, that we do so so with the the firefighter mile is the one you do in the new center now yeah yeah so i actually did that i think i was one of the first people to do it in marion county because I was there visiting Chad and it was all set up and he's like, do you want to go through it? So, and it was, yeah, it was challenging. It absolutely was because you, you have to hit a certain time in every station, don't you, to get the full points. Um, so that was amazing. But going back to the push up thing, this is the other issue. Firstly, I mean, my, my last apartment, the bar was in a trench when it came to strength and conditioning. There was, there was, you know, complete opposition to it. We had some great people that were just trying and trying and trying. It just kept getting knocked down. They ended up getting good equipment. They had some great people that had some, some good training under their belt. But next to my station was a 28-story hotel. Now, little trucker Jukes, um, Joshua Jukes' son who died of cancer, he's a Hawaii fireman. Oh, yeah. Actually. When that happened, I created a thing called Trucker's Tower. So... I got a whole, uh, myself and a few firefighters, we donned all our gear. We took, you know, the, just the, the high rise strip. So two extra tanks. Um, I think there was a, a 50 foot section of hose and a tool. So that's what you, I mean, if you're going that far up, that's what you're going to need. That was a hundred pounds on my skinny ass frame, 28 floors. And then we did an evolution where we did, you know, simulated hose attack, victim extraction, and we actually intubated them on the 27th floor as well. So add a little kind of fine skill. Point being, again, you get that person, they're working on the door prop on the ground floor. That's all well and good. I had um, Ricky Nuttall on. He responded to the Grenfell fire. You know, their, their actual forced entry, which they weren't able to do in this particular situation, was at the top floor. So it's all well and good, again, you know, being a rock star on Instagram, doing a, a prop with some wooden dowels. But let me see you do that with 100 pounds of gear. And that's not, you're not making up a fictional scenario. This is exactly what we're required to do. So going back to your your Olympic, you know, comparison, no, we don't have to be the world's strongest man or, you know, the CrossFit champion, but there is a, there's a bar that has to be set. And if you can't understand why a push-up is comparable, and people, and I'll be fair, I didn't always think this way take someone in a plank in a push-up now turn them 90 degrees now you're standing on your feet pushing away or pulling back that's the same as forcing a door it's the same as holding a hose line so yes it's fucking pertinent you know what i mean now is a a snatch pertinent you could argue that maybe not is a bar muscle up you know or you know an iron cross on the rings maybe not as much but 
these these are you know great tools for strength and conditioning that will work forever. And I agree with you 100%. There is a high, high level of requirement. And the thing that is so standardized in the fire service is a charge hose line has a set weight. If a you know 24 foot extension ladder has a set weight so male female you know black white gay straight purple whatever you should be able to use those tools so you shouldn't have descending standards well i'm 48 and i've got meniscus tears on both knees can you pass me the attic ladder please no it's not the way it works so that's what's so insane but you can also use that standardization for your fitness standards don't let you know the 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 crazy powerlifter guy say all right the standards are going to be a 500 pound deadlift just say carry this ladder advance this hold pulls this dummy and not a not a a real dummy like an american dummy like two 220 dummy you know what i mean so we have all the tools to create that and if as you said at the beginning and that's a standard at the front door. You let the young men and women, the end of the fire service, know this is going to be a standard that's maintained all the way through. And then the other side of the conversation is departments. How do we create an environment that sustains that fitness? And that involves looking at the work week, giving men and women more time off between shifts and giving them access to strength and conditioning programs. Mm-hmm. Man, I... <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, that, that is such a Pandora's box here, you know, like uh, even sleep you know going into the sleep deprivation is like you know how how much some people don't want to work out on on shift because you know, they're not going to get uh you know sleep that night and along those lines you gotta try to squeeze it in it's one of those things you just gotta you know put the excuses away and and and, and try to squeeze it in as much as you can you know um but it's funny you say about like keeping the keeping the standard and, and not everybody has to be a bodybuilder or not everybody has to deadlift 500 pounds you know like me as an instructor if i were to it it, it when I teach, I make it a point to um, make sure that everybody is able. I cater to my audience in the sense of like I look at I look at who I'm who I'm teaching. I don't care about if it's a a, a, a two hundred pound person or a two hundred pound guy or a one hundred and forty pound female. My objective is to get that person to do the 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 scenario or the object the objective that I'm asking him to do in a timely manner. But I would be a shitty instructor if I would ask him to do it in the exact same way. You know, so I'm not asking, you know, uh, so it goes back to, you know, levels of fitness and physical fitness and also understanding who you're talking to. Yes, I'm not, I will not ask a, a 140 pound person. It doesn't have to be a, a female. It could be a, sm- a smaller individual, smaller, a smaller man. Uh, I'm not asking someone that is, you know, a five foot five, five foot six, hundred and, you know, 45 pound individual to spike a 28 foot extension ladder. But I expect them to raise that 28 foot extension ladder in the same timely manner as I do when I'm spiking it. So my my job as an instructor is to make sure that they, 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 they're giving the tools to be able to do that in the same exact timely manner uh, that someone else of my my size and stature might be doing it with uh, uh, by, by spiking it. You know, So my job is to then be physically fit enough to give them the tools to do it both ways and tactically sound enough to give them the tools to do it both ways, to be able to be like, oh, do it like this or do it like this from a tactical standpoint and from a physical standpoint. So. Well, I think as well, today's society, you go to CrossFit gyms and see some of these incredible female athletes. If we're talking about smaller person, you look at the UFC and watch some of these bantam straw, you know, featherweight fighters. Um, It is absolutely possible to have the strength and endurance to be an absolute ass kicker. Um, You know, is 
is a is a 110 pound person going to have a different experience in life than a 210 pound person yeah you know is one going to be more of a deterrent wearing a police uniform than the other absolutely but again that's why we have teams you know and that's why each person has a, you know strengths and weaknesses but the standard is the standard you know can you pick this ladder up you know can you move it here i'll tell you when i came from florida and went to anaheim all my friends I got hired with went through a California Fire Academy. They knew how to spike a ladder. We did the slide it up against the the, the building and then walk it up. And, and I was like, oh, shit, how do we do this? And at first, they were like, oh, my God, who is this bloke? And luckily, I was able to get it. But, yeah, I mean, I was not weak. And that was a struggle without the right biomechanics. And then I watched, you know, my, my friend's Lacey, who was probably, I don't know, she's probably 120 get it up straight away you know what i mean so yeah i mean i agree with you completely it's that is the problem presented to you and it's not like how can i bring the standards down so i don't have to rise up to them it's the opposite if you want to be a firefighter you want to be a police officer there's the bar absolutely climb away absolutely the elite the elite of the elite don't lower their standards and that's the problem where we're like we don't for whatever reason uh, cops, firemen, you know, some military, I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure, but for whatever reason, we don't consider ourselves the elite of the elite. No, I, I am here to say that I consider myself the elite of the elite. I, I consider myself that I am, if I, if I was calling 911, I want me to, show, I want me showing up. There's nothing wrong with, with, with thinking of, uh, 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 of yourself like that. There's nothing wrong with expecting your, uh, uh, excellence of yourself when, you know, when it comes to, to the job, job performance. There's nothing wrong with expecting excellence of job performance from your, from your coworkers. Um, and that goes to every walk of life, every, 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 and every range. Um, I expect excellence and I, I hope that we reach the standard one day in which we are able to have a standard across the board for, for physical fitness and tactics gained, you know, like that knowledge, that knowledge gained, you know, uh, throughout the years of, of whether it be personal experience from running calls or just going to fire conferences and stuff like that, you know, you know, picking other people's brains. Well, speaking of that, speaking of, of culture and, you know, improving the fire service, talk to me about Build Your Culture, you know, what it is um, and how people can access that. Absolutely. You know, Build Your Culture, I, um, it's a company that myself and uh, Sean Duffy uh, started. Um, it's actually not that old, 2019, you know, Sean and I started it just through coming out of uh, Pasco County. Um, you know, we just, we found a mutual love and respect for, for uh, not only the job, but, you know, teaching uh, the job and, and, and regurgitating that information, that knowledge that, that, that we've experienced, you know, uh, we always joke, not joke around, but we say to each other, you know, like that, you know, what makes a good, you know, a good fireman, you need, you need, you need, you need knowledge, you need passion, you need experience, you know, you know, you need those three things to be able to, to be a, 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 a good fireman. There's a lot more stuff in there as far as, you know, physical fitness and things like that. We could get into that wormhole, but knowledge, passion, experience, you know, because you, you need passion, you need passion to be able to, to, to just love what you do without passion. You don't, you, you're not going to care so you need that passion right uh you need uh you need experience so work at busy firehouses you know it, it so with knowledge passion experience well, excuse me with knowledge passion experience you know you, you 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 gain that you have those that trifecta of 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 people that want to 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 pass on the information they have the knowledge because they've gone to to, to conferences they've picked other people's brains they've they've looked at those sandboxes so now they have uh, the, the knowledge that they've gained from not only personal but other people's experiences also that they've been able to, to receive and now they have the experience of their own firehouses that of running those calls so you put those three together and you just you have that 
a good instructor, a good instructor base to be able to pass on information and knowledge. And um, so Sean and I were just talking one 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 day, and we started talking about that same concept. And he's he's like, man, I couldn't agree more. That's great, you know. And and uh, one thing led to another, and next thing you know, you know, we're we're you know like, hey, you want to start a class? You know, like yeah. So we started uh, that searchable versus survival class. Uh, which that is Sean's uh, 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 brainchild. He's the brain of the operation with that. Uh, I'm lucky enough that he's able to, uh, that, that he chooses me to, to to ride around with, you know, every once in a while. But um, yeah, we basically, it's educated decision on the fire, uh, on the fire ground on how to properly search, you know. Now, the funny thing is uh, about that particular class, and not only that class, but uh, the, 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 the search or not the search culture excuse me the build your culture no pun intended on the actual name but the culture class that we teach also we do a a culture class which is just trying to keep how to keep passion alive within the in in your department within the tailboard firemen we do all of that uh the truck ops class that i that that i do um for national rescue consultants that's the company that, that, that i teach for every single thing that i do everything that sean does um, and NRC, the, the the other company that I work for, every single thing that, that that I touch personally, I only teach on if I do myself. You like so we really harp a lot on suburban skills, whether it be suburban suburban search skills, suburban truck skills, uh, the rural environment, the excuse me, rural environment in which we're you know stretching lines, you know, with a 75, 80 foot setback, you know, we have to uh, uh, extend our lines into you know a, a single wide or a double wide mobile home, that type of stuff. Uh, truck work in the in the in the single story residential, uh, lightweight roof construction uh, world. Every uh, every single thing that we do. Is based off of what is off of what we teach. Uh, that was that's what I believe makes us makes us successful. Uh, the day that you start, you know, hearing me teaching about fucking, you know, basement fires or 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 high or, or high rises or stretching upstairs or how to, you know, like bulkhead doors and all that type of other shit is the day that you literally should fucking just erase me from your social media because I'm full of shit. Um, you know, stick stick stay true to. To, to who you are, stay true to who you know. Um, don't try to do anything else other than than what you know. Um, try to gain knowledge, and as you gain knowledge, you you know you 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 regurgitate that knowledge. But I stay everything that I that I teach has to be uh, something that at least I do. With the search and survival, what are some of the things us after you put that class together? Maybe you got from Sean um, that some people are missing when it comes to to search tactics oh my gosh that, that yeah that'll open a pandora's box but right off the bat um a we don't do enough um uh 360s when we search 100 percent. no we we don't do enough 360s the, the the search team will never do a 360 they'll literally come and be like hey uh command uh rescue 21 to command uh we're at the front door making a a, a left hand search or right hand search copy no 360 done. How are you? How are, how do you know where you're gonna where you're gonna go? You have no idea. The engine does a 360. They, the, so, so the boss knows where the fire is. The the incident commander does a 360 to find out you know where the, where 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 the hazards are, what needs to be done, uh, what else needs to be done, how the progression of the fire is going. But the search, 
goes in blindly instead of being a targeted search. Um, I'm huge. We are huge on 360s, being able to do targeted searches. So as you do your 360, the 360 is going to let you know those those high exhaust point windows, low exhaust point windows, where 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 handicap ramps are. All of those are high target areas in which I'm like, all right, well, I'm either going into that high exhaust point window or I'm not going to go into that. It's a low exhaust point, so I'm going to go. I'm going to I'm going to bypass it because I have fire blowing out of the low exhaust point window. Oh, I have a handicap ramp. Oh shit, I might have to go into this window as opposed to go into the front door. Um, People just like they, they get tunnel vision on this front door going in the front door left or right. And it's like, no, like you can you could start you could initiate a search from any point in the house, you know, like uh, and they 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 VES. Oh, I know VES is just a very nice way a sprinkled fucking way of, of saying it is a window initiated primary search because my 360 told me that my target area is is in the in the Charlie division because I have a handicap ramp and and I have possible confirmed entrapment on uh, uh of someone, well, fuck, if my 360 sees that I have a handicap ramp, most likely this motherfucker's coming up through back here all the time. So I'm going to start my search from this window back here as opposed to the front door. High target areas, what is those 360s, is we're, miss, we're missing them. We're, we're horrible. How to, how, <clears throat> excuse me, how to properly make a left and right hand search pattern. Nobody, when you do a 360, you see where the fire's at. When the fire, where, wherever the fire is located, you, you, you ideally search from the fire back. People don't do that either. They'll go into they'll go in the front door, do a left or right hand search pattern. Oh, why are you doing a left hand search pattern? Well, I don't, I don't, I don't know. You know, you don't, yeah, exactly. You you don't know. Most people do a left hand left hand or right hand search pattern based off of which which way the door opens. I always see. I always wonder that too. And we're going way back to my initial training. And I remember even as a brand new guy wondering this. And I'm glad we're having this conversation. I always thought, okay, we make a right hand search, and then we hit the fire. Yeah. How the fuck are we gonna get? To mm-hmm. the next part Absolutely. of wall that we can get to. Yeah. Search from your fire back. And then if it's funny because eight out of 10 people, like just random ass number. I just made that up right there. Eight out of 10 people who will literally fucking be like, oh, why'd you make a left or right hand search? If you really like broke that down, it's because when they came in the front door or whatever door they came in, if the door opens left, they went right. And if the door opens right, they went left. No rhyme or reason uh, as far as like how they're actually searching from the fire back. Like the bedrooms to the Absolutely. right. Another thing that we do horrendously, going back, tying it back to fitness, horrendously. When we teach VES, I'd see it all the time. We're asking someone to just literally get off the rig. All I'm asking you, let's go down. We're going to break this down to fucking layman's terms like it's like if we're stupid. All I'm asking you is, James, get off the rig with a tool in your hand. I need you to do me a favor. Go to that window, break that window, and I need you to search that room. That room is going to be your run-of-the-mill 10 by 10 room. 11 by 13 if you want to be nice and say it's a master bedroom. Okay. That's all I want you to do. Search that room and come back out. I don't want you to go VES beyond the door. I don't want you to split search it. I just want you to do a run-of-the-mill VES. Get off the rig with a tool, break the window, go search a 10 by 10 room, come back outside. Most people, when they come out, let's say they start with a bottle at 4,500. Most people, when they come out, they're, they're probably emptied their bottle. Or not, excuse me, not emptied their, they, they probably uh, half their bottle. They're probably about 23, 2,400. Like getting off the rig, breaking the thing, breaking the window, masking up, getting in, getting a good search in, coming back out. Oh, good search. And I use that in quotation marks. But getting a good search in, getting back out, they're probably down at 2,300. So let me get this straight. Most people will fucking empty or or go half of a bottle on a regular VES and come out fucking sucking wind. 
but we don't bat an eye as incident commanders to look at a 2,000 or 2,200 or 2,400 square foot home and looking at and look at the first initial rescue company that comes in, a two-man rescue in, in the sense here in the state of Florida, and be like, I need you to search that. You need, you need, you need me to search that 2,300 square foot house? And then as firemen, we straight up lie to the incident commander and say, copy that, chief. We go in because our adrenaline is fucking great. We're going to do a half-ass fucking search, especially if that house is legitimately charged. We're going to do a shitty half-ass search, come outside, and fucking look at the incident commander and be like, search is clear. The fuck it is? Absolutely not. So as incident commanders, I would love to see those bigger houses be split into two divisions and have the initial search crew go in uh, after they do their 360 and locate their high-target areas, find their, find their, their uh, fire room, work their way back. If they VES, uh, split search VES. I don't care if they do uh, two rooms at a time. If they decide to do one uh, one room, uh, do a bump up VES style, which they're doing VES beyond the door and search those hallways, but they're searching from the fire room back basically, right? And then do the other, uh, and then as the other uh, crew comes in, whether it be a, the, 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 uh, another ladder truck, whether it be another rescue company, whether it be the heavy rescue, I'll start assigning them to the, other, to the other division and start splitting divisions as far as like 2,300 square foot home. Okay, you take the, the side where the fire is that you take the other side but you, it's impossible you're not you're not going to have two guys search a 2300 square foot home properly a, a house that's actually charged absolutely not no they're lying to you if they did they're straight up lying to you i will give higher more more props so they had i think it was a five-story tower um it was a, a unique design so the fire was actually in the base of a chimney so all the heat would vent through all these different floors. Um, when I was there, I know all kinds of shit was thrown in there that probably wouldn't make it today because <laughs> it got really, really hot. But the lazy boy, <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably with that dude still on Fuck. it. Um, but uh, they had all this furniture in there, and that's one of the big mistakes I've seen in all the departments after that. Is even including Anaheim, you know, the tower they had. Is you go in, you know, and it's nice open floors and then oh there's there's some straw and pallets and okay brilliant oh there's the baby i can see it hialeah they would cram that shit full of all this wire furniture so you could have super hot but you could have all these props in, and all of a sudden now your hose line's getting up you're trying to do searches they had actual little kind of like under the stairs closets built in it was excellent but Good. but the other thing i didn't think about so you were just saying this when at least in this academy we drilled searching and I remember, I think her name was Jane. I remember one time we made entry and I swore up and down, what's my partner doing? Why isn't she coming with me? And I had done left, 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 left and was at the front door again. Now we're, you know, we're blinded in this, but, you know, I completely screwed up. By the time we came out of their orientation, I could map out, and it wasn't just that we knew this tower, they would reconfigure it and everything, but I could map out everything it was like starting to probably get towards what blind people have you know in everyday life and so drilling search and not just putting a hood over someone's mask and getting them to feel around the bunk room a little bit but like truly going the tower and getting reps in on search that's one thing when i look at my career that was done very very poorly they started so well in in highly and i didn't stay there long enough to see if they repeat that but after that I just became worse searching. Absolutely. I think that those are the two of the biggest, I don't want to say the biggest, but two of the biggest training scars that we have in the world of search is one, um, uh, we search, 
we we train people to search in in, in empty buildings. Um, so which it gives them this training scar like of of not understanding how an actual building is laid out with furniture, et cetera, et cetera. That is a training scar that is built into you. Um, and then uh, what were you saying? Um, oh, the uh, the hood. I hate the hood method um, because it teaches everybody to search blacked out 100% of the time. In the world of firefighting, if you are blacked out, if you're in a house, large house, small house, doesn't matter. If you're in an, if you're in an area and you are blacked out like nothing, you can't see, shit is down to your ankles and you can't see. You're in the fuel. You are in some solid shit. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That house is screaming for a vent. Uh, you know, and this, uh, whether vertical, horizontal, whatever the fuck, that house is screaming for a vent job. But we don't teach that we just teach this training scar of like oh you're it's okay it's okay you, you know just just search black just search in the black search in the black search in the black i don't mind searching in the black every once in a while to just you know like get get acclimated to 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 that to that darkness so to speak but we just we we hit on that training scar man and it, it just we don't break it ever mm. well and also i think it you lose then the value of getting low the visibility that you can get and going back to truck company operations of vertical ventilation all the poo-pooing that happened in the Florida departments, when I got back, if you know what it's like to be interior, because I, I was on the engine and the truck, I, I did truck mostly, but I would do shifts on the engine, and someone cuts a heat hole and punches oh, yeah. through, and you're like, Jesus. Night and day. It's like a chimney. It's night and day. Imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, All the smoke goes up. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So I... We took a quick pee break, so we're just going to pick it up. I forget exactly what we'd said, but yeah. So talking about um, vertical ventilation, yeah, it was it was mind-blowing that if you put a chimney in a building, the smoke goes out of it, and then you can see. So again, you know, using your real eyes versus blinding someone completely, you teach them about ventilation. You teach them, right, this, you search 50% of the time, and they're, all right, now we've got ventilation and now this is what's going to happen. The smoke's starting to dissipate. You can see more. Get off your knees. Stand Absolutely. up. Yeah. Stop duck walking just because it looks good on Instagram. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's so it's so weird to me. It's but those are training scars, man. Those are training scars that we just build over time, you know, and uh, and you know, not not properly understanding, you know, like what the the other big training scars having both rescuers, you know, um, in the same room together. We talked about like having an orientman and an anchor man, um, or excuse me, an, an oriented man and, and, and a lead searcher. Having both rescuers in the same room or, th or three rescuers in the same room searching the same area, uh, not only is it um, it's counterproductive because you're searching the same area, um, but you are now risking that all three rescuers are sitting at a heart rate that is so beyond... The, the, their capabilities of understanding the small tasks. You need to have a rescuer sitting in that heart in that in that in that nice heart rate of 120, 130 beats a minute to be able to do those small little tasks. Because um, uh, uh, once you start getting into that into that condition red, condition black, all those types of stuff. Ooh, yeah. Now now your small motor skills go to shit. You, only your big motor skills are, are, are left. When your big motor skills are left, yes, I could drag a body out. Yeah, I could do all that type of stuff. Now with that, with but the but the fine motor skills are gone. Yeah, ask me to get on the radio. Yeah, okay. Where are you? Yeah, okay. Have fun with that. No, it, so we need to have two separate rescuers being able to understand uh, the, the um, 
<laughs> the the nuances of both heart rates, what's going on, and stuff like that in there. So it's, uh, it's those are all training scars, man. That we just for whatever reason sometimes we just don't uh, focus on, and that's something that you know going back to the original question. That's something that that Sean and I uh, discussed, and that's why we are so passionate about. Uh, 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 teaching it and just regurgitating that information as far as search is concerned, um, and he does it so much more than I do. I mean, the, the, uh, I don't even I don't even know how the hell he he runs his schedule, but he does it so much more than I do. He does it at a high level. I'm I'm proud to be a uh, a friend of his and um and uh, proud of all he's done actually. Beautiful. So for people listening, if they want to learn more about that, where is the best place? Uh, build your culture all over social media, but uh, mostly Instagram and Facebook, um, you know, at Sean Duffy, obviously, or at build your culture, uh, build your culture, uh, just like that build your culture is on Facebook and is on Instagram. Uh, you could reach out to me also on, on my Facebook, which is on uh, Pablo uh, Vanessa Jenner, I share on Facebook with my wife. Don't, uh, uh, right, I'll take, I'll give you 10 seconds to make fun. All right, we're good. I just gave you five. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I share a Facebook with my wife, so you can reach out to me, at, uh, Pablo, uh, Vanessa Jenner. I, um, I, I'll answer um, whatever questions you guys might have. Um, like I said, and I'm man, I'm pretty blessed, man. I, I, I do a lot of teaching with, like I said, with uh, Sean, and then uh, National Rescue Consultants. That's also another company um, that, that that I teach with. Um, um, Irby Tyler down there from. The uh, city of West Palm is the uh, owner, uh, president of the company. That's where I, uh, I basically met Rob th- uh, teaching through them. Um, Greg Rogers, all them boys on there. They're just so damn good, man. I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm blessed because I'm, I'm surrounded by guys that make me look a fuck ton better than I really am. A fuck ton, dude, because I am not that good. And those guys just, you know, they elevate my game. Uh, so National Rescue Consultants, you could, you could um, once again, find them on Instagram or Facebook or the actual website, National Rescue Consultants. Um, I believe it's .org, um, and then just look at the um, uh, the website for class upcoming classes. Um, uh, build your culture uh, is is mainly uh, we do a lot of uh, search. That's you know we do search classes and um, uh, the, the search versus survival class, which is Sean's baby, um, and then we do a, a culture class. Um, through NRC, that's a little bit uh, a little bit different. NRC uh, hits the world of flusar quite a bit. Um, so um, any rope rescue, trench, confined space, any of the above, you know. So uh, and then they uh, and obviously they do a truck ops class. Also, they do engine ops class, hydraulics. Uh, we just did a, a forcible entry class down for the city of, of Auburndale uh, not too long ago. Um, uh, but yeah, they they were literally just up right now as of this broadcast. They're literally up in uh, I want to say uh, Massachusetts, uh, uh, teaching up there in Newton, uh, I believe a, a, a city called Newton, uh, teaching the entire Flusar series to those guys up there. So um, they do man versus machine. Uh, Timmy Gleason from the city of Miami, the freaking godfather of of city of Miami TRT. The guys, uh, uh, he's been uh, Miami TRT. For a long, long time, he does man versus machine uh, with those guys, you know. So, like I said, man, I'm pretty blessed to be able to to just hang around a lot of guys that are much better than I am. So, once again, National Rescue Consultants or Build Your Culture, either which one, find us on Instagram or Facebook. Beautiful. Well, I just want to say thank you. Our dogs, or my dogs, was our dogs. My dogs have moved right beneath your feet now, and one is noisily chewing her chew toy. Um, but no, it's been a great conversation. Um, again, thank you so much for your vulnerability and your honesty about your journey. Um, it's nice to meet someone who's been bouncing around departments a little bit too, because you know that gives a unique perspective. And then again, obviously teaching us about what you're teaching now. But yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, James. I, once again, I appreciate what you're, I appreciate what you're doing. 
I've always been a fan of what you're doing, and um, I hope to continue. Uh, I hope that you continue your success. Honestly, I really do, man. I I am I, glad to say, and I, to, to tie it back to what I said earlier, I'm glad to know that you're a bad motherfucker, and uh, I like I uh, love knowing you. Brother.